This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning to you. You made it another week. Today, what a great day. It is National Sunday Day. The day you get to just bask in the ice cream. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Welcome ice to the program. Mm. It's my number one. Okay, this song might make me not want ice cream. Could you enjoy one? I was just going to say, could you enjoy one while listening to this song? No. There's just some songs that make you twitch. Okay, now how about eating an ice cream sundae yeah. while listening to this song? While at the same time, uh, young kids pulling on your arm or jumping on top of you. Yeah, that's when we have what I call quiet time, and we we play the silent game. And we take their ice cream away and put them in their rooms and lock the door. Wow. It's a parenting technique. I learned sad real fast. (laughs) Just something we do. (laughs) National Sunday Day. We'll get into all that. That'll be fun. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Do you hear all the the people protesting Donald Trump? They don't. They don't like this. They're not liking it. He's calling them professionals. Yeah, they're professional protesters. I mean, and I've heard everything from these people don't have jobs to all this other stuff from uh, that's offensive in in every regard. And yet, uh, it, it's it's real, right? Half of the country seems to be struggling with the Donald Trump um, world. Now, what we're going to find out today with our guest today, half of the world may be suffering through this, at least Europe. Europe's going through a very similar thing without Trump. This is a democracy, though, right? I mean, isn't it a good thing that that somebody who you never would have thought would be president – has just as much a chance as anybody else as long as, as long as they have millions and millions of dollars. Right. But they here's the dilemma. He's, you know, kind of a nationalist, close the borders, not so into immigration, big on stopping. I mean, not necessarily getting involved in foreign wars, but definitely not um, being taken advantage of, watching out for trade. These are all kind of nationalistic, uh, nationalistic approaches, and we're going to find out from our guest this morning that uh, Brexit and much of Europe, because of, I mean, an example of it is Brexit in Europe, but much of Europe is going through similar views, and so this is kind of a global movement. We don't, we don't need to. There was a thought that we might be maybe above that sort of. Yeah, we're above that movement. Point. Yeah. Well, again, that's part of our elitism. And what we might find out is we're just human like the rest of the mm-hmm. Western world who are, are who are feeling a lot of impact from immigration and from other countries. And they're worried that their their economies are stagnating because they don't have they're, – they're saying because too many outsiders are coming in taking the jobs. Do you think Republicans, though, would be – would have the same reaction had Hillary been elected? Well, yeah, like they did. They would be protesting. They might have been better, better mentally prepared because the way the polls looked. Right. You know what I mean. So they might have been already resolved. Okay, this is the this is our status. This is what we're going to do. You know. I think they're. I think the Republicans. You know, presidentially are used to losing. But the videos (laughs) of people just melting down. Oh, it's ugly. Like yeah. 
just turn off your phone and go take a walk. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be fine. So we'll get into the fact that this is – it's really fascinating. This is impacting most of Europe and – it doesn't seem to be going away. And we got to be careful, right? Because some of this may have been similar conditions that, that led to some of our problems with uh, Nazi Germany. Got to watch out. What, once, what are you getting at here? Once you start shutting down the doors, once you start not letting anybody in, once you start turning nationalistic, you might set yourself up for a, a tyrant coming in. Okay. We'll talk about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a marker on that seven o'clock and seven ten. Seven ten. That's one narrative. That's one narrative. And it's put out. Yeah. And it's but it's a big narrative in Europe, and it's a really big na- narrative in Germany. Yeah. Even 18 percent of Germans, they're saying now, are becoming more nationalistic again, which a lot of people can't believe that number is that high based on their history. Hmm. But um, it's got to watch out, and we're not, it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has no. to do with the fact that. There's a movement to shut the doors, to get not let people into countries, and we saw a little bit of it in our own country. So we'll get into that fun, fun topic in a few minutes. We will also, uh, of course, be covering all the headlines in the news, some of which you even need to know. But the information and headlines you do need to know, let's go to Sadie Nielsen to find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? President Obama said he and Donald Trump had an excellent meeting in the Oval Office on Thursday and pledged to work with the president-elect in order to ensure a smooth transition. Speaking with reporters after the meeting, Obama said First Lady Michelle Obama met with incoming First Lady Melania Trump. I have been very encouraged by the interest in the president-elect Trump's wanting to work with my team around many of the issues that this great country faces, he added. If you succeed, then the country succeeds, Obama said to Trump. Trump said the meeting was supposed to last just 10 or 15 minutes, but instead they met for 90 minutes. Thousands of protesters gathered across the United States Thursday for a second day in a row to protest the election of Donald Trump. Demonstrators are holding court outside Trump Tower in New York and in Baltimore and Los Angeles, where at one point hundreds walked onto a freeway. Earlier in the day, students from at least 10 schools in San Francisco marched through the streets, carrying flags and chanting, Hey, hey, ho, ho, Donald Trump has got to go. In Washington, D.C., about 100 protesters marched from the White House to the Trump International Hotel blocks away. Hillary Clinton acknowledged that she had committed a major mistake when she described half of Donald Trump's supporters as deplorables, according to a New York Times report. Clinton reportedly admitted to the error immediately after making the remarks at a New York fundraiser in September. Trump used the remark to his advantage on the campaign trail, and his supporters started calling themselves proud deplorables in a rebuke of Clinton's characterization of them. Strategists on both the left and the right said the comment was ill-advised as it alienated and riled up the voters. And finally, what's that? A little heartwarming story in yes. the midst of all the crazy going on right now. An 82-year-old man from Germany lost his wedding ring wrapped around a growing carrot after losing the band in his garden 3 years ago, according to German news outlet WDR. The man said his wife reassured him the ring would reappear after it fell into the dirt while he was gardening shortly after they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. 6 months after his wife's death, the ring resurfaced. After finding the ring around the middle of a carrot, the man said that sometimes you reap what you sow. Oh boy. So he literally dropped his ring in his garden. Lost it for three years, and then he resurfaced it with a carrot. How many carrots was it? <laughs> just one. It was just one. It was fat, a one carrot. One fat carrot that had that had grown through the ring, 
and he pulled it up out of his garden. That's pretty cool. The carrot came up and said, I do. Yes, mm. it did. How neat is that? Yeah. You lost your ring. And then you find it in your garden in a carrot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I lost my ring, I, A, I wouldn't be in a garden. Right. Wouldn't be caught dead in a garden. <laughs> Except my wife said, that's not true. That's the first place I'd bury you. Yeah, I was going to say, eventually you will be caught dead in a garden (laughs) or a garden-like area. In the dirt. That's pretty cool. Uh, Terry doesn't believe it. I skipped the story because I was like, oh, there's so many people are going to make like the – It's too heartwarming for Terry. It's too way too heartwarming. You have the carrot. Oh, there's like carrots and rings and now this one's on a carrot. Oh, it's – So are there going to be baby carrots too? So dumb. Yeah. I think they're – I think – yeah, it was their fiftieth wedding anniversary. Is that what so, it was? Uh-huh. So yeah. baby carrots on the way. There's probably not going to be baby carrots. Well, if they plant them, they're not going to have any of their own. You can buy them at the store now for just you know. It's just it's like three, people, four bucks a bag. People lose their ring in the dump, and like fifty people go dig through everybody else in the community's garbage, and they find the ring. Love rules. Oh, come on. Well, I appreciate wow, it, Sadie. Dark. They Thank found you. a ring in the dump. Jeff has my back. Totally. Hey, Sadie. Um, can you do something with Terry to make him feel <laughs> goodness and light? Yes. Well, just, too much. Too much. You sit by him longer than any of us, so just work on that the next hour. Maybe time. he needs an ice cream sundae. <gasps> National Sunday Day. There you go. Well, thank you, Sadie. Did you see the, the numbers um, about Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump? What, how did the final numbers come now, out? It was the final numbers across Cl- uh, Clinton's cl- quote-unquote blue wall of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. That seemed to be her... Uh, that, her, her that, Achilles, that finished yeah. her off basically yeah. for the night. Forty-six electoral votes there, and Michigan's sixteen electoral votes haven't officially been called for Trump, but he's certain to win the state. Just looking mm-hmm. at the numbers now, they're coming in. Those forty-six votes proved insurmountable for Clinton in terms of electoral math, but Clinton actually lost to Trump by only one thousand seven hundred or one hundred seven thousand three hundred thirty individual votes. So one hundred, basically one hundred, hundred thousand votes. Hundred thousand votes in those four states, and combined across those four states. Yeah, but about three hundred and something nationwide. That's yes. amazing. That's what it is. Now. Why? Why are New Hampshire and Michigan still holding back? They're still counting. It's not like they haven't called it official. You know what I mean? But you look at the math, and there's no way that she can, you know, overcome. But don't they say total. like a hundred percent? accounted for i don't know if you're looking at google it depends on where they're pulling their info from but exactly how small is that number in perspective the 107,000 people it's fewer than the number of fans that could fit into michigan stadium in ann arbor to watch the wolverines play football right uh equal to the population of boulder colorado but fewer (laughs) people than how many live in everett washington north charleston south carolina or perlin texas they're just grabbing cities at this Mm. point far fewer than number of people who sit and watch the indianapolis 500 yeah. You see, I mean, we're seeing. That is amazing. That is yeah. nothing. Um, fewer than the number of people who uh, attended the Chicago Cubs victory parade. <laughs> though, though they said five million were there, there weren't five million yeah. there. So fewer than. And it says a little bit more than the entire population of Aruba, Tonga, or Grenada, but less <laughs> than the entire population of Guam, Samoa, or this other city they mentioned. So it's uh, so. In addition to Michigan, the races in Arizona and New Hampshire have not been officially called yet. But when the three are taken into account, Trump won the election. Three hundred six electoral college votes to Clinton's two thirty-two. Three hundred six, and interestingly, Donald Trump had forty-seven point four percent of the vote, hmm. 
which do you remember? Everyone was saying there's no way he'll ever get yeah, over forty percent of the vote. He's got this ceiling yeah, problem. He's got he can't get over fifty, so it's just going to be a problem. He got forty-seven four percent of the vote. By the way, she only got forty-seven point seven percent of the vote, mm-hmm. but she won. So she won the she won the popular vote again. This is is this going to bring up more issues about the electoral college? Sure. Now that she now that lost, the Democrats. Yes. I mean, the Republicans <laughs> have suffered for this. I mean, suffered. Is the it comes up every time that there's been this, what, a handful of times where the popular vote didn't win. Man. Ah, politics. Ain't but, it great? But then yesterday, Donald Trump went to the White House. Isn't that a great moment? Well, um, it, was a, it yes. was a really interesting, I think, uh, moment watching President Obama try with all of his might to Stay be focused. presidential. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he, it was amazing. I thought it was interesting how Trump thought he was going to be in and out of there in 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And apparently the, they had more than like a half hour scheduled with him and it turned into an hour and a half. But it, it surprised Trump. Did um, did you see the photo op, the moment? Um, do you remember we talked on the show about man spread? Yes. <laughs> Daily Mail had a body language expert. Uh, yeah. And they talked about the man spread. Because the, you just have to see the photo of them sitting there. They're both, they're both in the Oval they're Office. They're both in the Oval chairs. Office in those, those two chairs by the fireplace. But, and they're both kind of leaning over, but their, their legs are, are spread apart, which is, a, I guess, a symbol of manliness. And the idea who's was— Who's in charge, who, dominance, and, well, that and kind of thing. Who's man spread yeah. was more spread. Says who? <laughs> says who? But um, it was really neat. I, I thought the Obamas—I think the Obamas are incredible because they got a lot of people frustrated, right, by this whole thing, out there protesting. And President Obama just keeps saying how supportive we need to be. Here's some of uh, President Obama's quotes on the meeting. I very much look forward to dealing with the president in the future, including counsel. Uh, he's uh, he explained some of the difficulties, some of the the high-flying assets, and some of the some of the really great things that have been achieved. Uh, so, Mr. President, it was a great honor being with you, and I look forward to being with you many, many more times in the future. Thank you, sir. You almost can't hear him over all the shutters. I mean, isn't that amazing? And he... Um, that was, of course, Donald Trump, not President Obama. But that was Donald Trump, President-elect's uh, first comments, really, in the, I mean, in the Oval Office, sitting there in a press conference. Uh, let's see if we can um, pull out some of President Obama's. I have been very encouraged by the, uh, I think, interest in President, President-elect uh, Trump's wanting to work with my team around many of the issues that this great country faces. And uh, I believe that it is important for all of us, regardless of party uh, and regardless of political preferences, uh, to now come together, work together, to deal with uh, the many challenges that we face. And then at the end of this press conference, um, they basically just kick the media out. Well, that's common. They, yeah, they go they about always do it. whenever they bring in world leaders, they have this sort of photo op, and it's about three minutes. And you sometimes they'll take questions at the end. Yeah, not today. And they, but the media were asking the questions, and President Obama jumped right in. We're not answering any questions here. He turned to President uh, Elect Trump and said, "Play clip six. 
Thank you, everybody. We're not, we are not going to be taking any questions. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Here's a good rule. Don't answer any questions when they're just starting. It's always the last one. Come on, guys. Yeah, come on, guys. Let's go. Get out. We're Get done. Get out of here. That, here. Here's a good rule. He turns to the pre, uh, president-elect and says, here's a good rule. We don't answer questions at the end of this. And um, did you hear what then under, under well, he was saying breath, when they start shouting yeah, questions, don't you just don't questions. answer because you just too, it's too confusing. And then that's when President or uh, Trump turned and was answering a question to the press. How do you feel about President Obama or something? Because he said he's a really good man. He's mm-hmm. a really good man. Right. It's pretty amazing. You man, know, these guys hated each other. Terry, you and I earlier were talking about designated survivor. I love how they had they were at a party and they had all the press members uh, behind this stanchion that they couldn't cross. And I was like, that's the way it should <laughs> that's be. That's the way you keep the media in check. Wow. Uh, interesting, interesting times we're going through. Uh, again, a lot of the Trump phenomenon is it's not just an American thing. This is a European dynamic as well. When we come back, we will get into that discussion, talk about how nearly half of the adults in Europe or and Britain hold similar views as what we're seeing from Trump and the Trump followers. Um, interesting stuff. It's for, for many, it's scary. And so we want to get into that. We'll talk about it up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, so much to talk about with uh, a new um, president-elect. They've got he's got to create an entire government administration, hire people. He's going to have to hire an entire staff. He's got to make changes to the Oval Office. You know that was going on in his mind hmm. when he was meeting with President yeah. Obama. He's like. Oh, yeah. that wall's got to go. Yeah, we got to get some new furniture the drapes. We got to fix this. And they uh, do. I'm sorry. What, what were you saying? <laughs> Say what? Did you did you mention something? But he's he's going to build a team. And one of the things I think to be looking out for with Trump and you see all of the um, kind of the, the the pundits that have always been supportive of him. They're now saying everything he promised to do that he has to do. And, you know, the wall, you got to build the wall. Start day one. Day one, we get that wall going. Um, we've also, I mean, he made all of these promises, right? He's going to restrict uh, immigration. He's going to start to get uh, the infrastructure of the country back together. He, he's got a million things to do. But he also has to build a team. And if he's the outsider trying to fight against government, then he probably ought not be using a ton of Washington insiders, Right. Mm-hmm. So CNN came out with an article about how t- the team Trump is already filling up with at Washington insiders. So do Washington insiders make this difference? And he's going to get his cabinet. I mean, another interesting thing, Donald, I think, spent 60 to 80 million out of pocket for the election. So is he going to go head to head with all of the uh, with all of the K Street people, the the people that go in from the companies, the representatives, all of the – what do they call them? Um, the, 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 country, the companies that send their lobbyists – that's what we're looking for – to go basically lead government. 
Is he going to just kick out all the lobbyists? I think he's going to go with some of the people that uh, he was opposing at one point and who jumped on his band bandwagon pretty quick. Yeah. Like Giuliani, mm-hmm. Chris Christie, maybe even Ben Carson. No, Ben Carson supposedly is in talks. Yeah. Is in talks with Trump. Um, Rudy Giuliani, of course, Newt Gingrich will be there. Jeff Sessions will be there. These are all the people that were the, the supportive – Attentive. Apparently, well, his uh, his campaign chairperson. She'll be on the on his team as well. Were they really supportive of him, or were they just looking for any way into the White House, just like him? Some might. Well, argue. maybe maybe some of them needed a job. They needed some employment. This again, I guess, is part of the problem. We, now you can call it elitism when it's you know the opposite party Democrats, but he was calling Jeb Bush an elitist, right? He was calling. The Bushes, elitists. They've been in this too long. We don't need any more of those. We don't need any more tr- uh, Clintons. We don't need any more of these lifers so hanging we're not, on. We're not going to see Jeb Bush in the White House or on, no. in, in his cabinet at all. I, You know what? Honestly, I think he'd be nuts not to. But he didn't even vote he, for him. Right. But he won't do it. But I mean, what a great resource he could be. But I think Trump's – yeah, there's certain people that are on the list. And I'm not sure if there is a real list, but there is a definite memory. I mean, I thought, he has memory. I thought it was a, a bad idea to be on Trump's list. Yeah, no, it's like a horrible. If you cross thing. him, no, they're, you're they're, on his list. They're, and those people will not be getting a job. But this is the guy that has – they keep saying, uh, you know, all the, again, the Sean Hannity's of the world are saying he has a mandate. Um, Which I have one this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does have a mandate, except it's not a mandate by popular vote. It's a mandate because he has the Senate, the Congress, and he has the presidency. And if he doesn't do something with it within the first two years, it's over. I mean, meaning uh, it's not going to work. Um, President Obama had the same thing, and it all turned on him. Eight years later – he he doesn't have Congress. He doesn't have the Senate. It's not working. How many of these people that voted for Trump actually believe that he'll do some of the things that he said he would do or even want him to do some of the things he said he would do? I, I don't think I think I think they want to believe. But again, they haven't been able to believe it historically because really this is what's weird. They never expected a politician to ever really do what they said. That really blew up with President Obama as well. Do you remember that? Because mm. he he made promises about um, about the health care bill that didn't come through. He made promise a lot of promises. He was going to unite the country. He was going to work together. He was going to bring the hope back in, get the troops back, and for and again he was going to close down Guantanamo. He's going to do a bunch of things, and he's I think he's trying, but you know he's also fallen short. So. Donald Trump's in an interesting position because he he needs to he needs to deliver, and I, I honestly I think he will. I mean I, I think I don't know how he couldn't. Didn't one of your guests yesterday say that if he doesn't deliver, then that's it for the GOP? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, Talk I, about pressure. It'll, I think it'll be over. I mean, <sighs> because this is it. The GOP, remember, have complained. And complained and complained and complained, and now, boom, it's all their problem. They're, they they talk about repeal and replace 
the health care um, mandate and Obamacare, that is the hardest thing in the world. That was the hard, That was such a difficult thing to do, and we think they're just going to push one through. They're just going to go figure out how to fix, repeal, and replace with free market ideas. Okay. Well, maybe he'll have more time now because isn't he turning his businesses over to his I children? Hope so. I hope so because honestly, if there's any – I don't know. There can't be any Trump paraphernalia marketing materials in the White House. Can't you see you go there and you get your soap because they, they'll like give you little trinkets from the White House. And if any of them say Trump on it other than President Trump. I still think he's going to he's going to pimp out uh, Air Force 1. <laughs> totally. I mean, can you imagine going from his airplane Air Force to Trump. Air Force 1? <laughs> yeah. And I I'm dying to know what his secret service name is. Hmm. In fact, we probably ought to spend a little time making one up. I'm trying to think of one that's not too easy. Uh Dennis the Menace. Donald remember Dennis the Menace? Oh yeah. He had the flyaway hair. Always a little red, faced, getting in trouble. <laughs> That's what they should call him, Dennis the Menace. Um, what we got, we do. We need to find a real good name for him. Hmm. Yeah. Again, I'm trying to find one that's not such an easy target. Mm. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Do that. Do that. Um, we're having a, di- a little difficulty getting our guest on the line for to talk about. The the movement, the Trump movement, remember he said he's creating a revolution, and he is. And it's not just a revolution he's created. He's jumping on the bandwagon of something that's that's actually taking over Europe and um, was probably what backed and, and caused Brexit to take place. Hmm. People are shutting down their borders. They're, it's this it's it's nationalism. And. It makes sense when you have the economy that we're struggling with and have been struggling with for so long, you have all these tech jobs that are leaving the country and making, um, you know, making jobs more efficient. So we need fewer workers. And then we're exporting jobs to countries that have lower wages. It's and we have these trade agreements and then we have immigration with people coming in and terrorism that makes everybody afraid, especially in Europe. Um, you have Syrians crossing the border like crazy because they are being oppressed. Is there going to be a change as far as jobs is concerned? Uh, what do you mean? Jobs in the U.S.? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that's that's an issue with jobs leaving the United States. And, you know, that's kind of been a big push for him is that he's going to bring jobs back to America. Yeah. I, I think there will be. I think there will be. I mean, I think he's got to try to do something with it. Maybe a some jobs act where we all of a sudden get to go um, put some money into infrastructure. That might create some jobs. He's, he's, that's, that's the promise he's got to keep. Okay, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about it, the impact of uh, Donald Trump and uh, what's going on in Europe with nearly half of the adults in Britain and Europe holding uh, more extreme views, kind of nationalist views. Stick with us. Interesting topic coming up.
The United Kingdom held an advisory referendum back in June in which 52% of the voters were in favor of leaving the European Union. The referendum, now known as Brexit, was evidence of a political shift across Europe and a change that was evident in the U.S. presidential er uh, election earlier this week. A groundbreaking new study from YouGov, an international Internet-based market research firm um, of 12 European countries, has revealed how far anti-immigrant, nationalist, authoritarian attitudes have spread from the political fringes. Joining us to talk about this study is Joe Twyman, YouGov's head of political and social research for Europe and the Middle East and Africa. He joins us today to help us sort through this and how it impacts even what's going on here in the United States with uh, Donald Trump's victory. Joe Twyman, thank you so much for being with us. Hello. Uh, this is this is a big deal. So first of all, um, I'm sure you see over there what's going on in the U.S., protests, uh, half the country divided uh, anti-Trump right now. Uh, well, not half, but a, a large percentage are. And then you're, you also are um, kind of suffering through the Brexit uh, backlash. First of all, where does Brexit stand now? Uh, well, uh, it's extremely complicated, and I could talk all day about this, but I'm sure that would bore your listeners <laughs> yeah. senseless. So instead, I'll give you the short version. The short version is that we have voted as a country to leave the European Union. Uh, but in order for that to happen, the government has to trigger something called Article 50. Now, Article 50 is the, uh, the, uh, an element of the, uh, of the uh, contract binding us to the European Union. And once that is triggered, we have two years to negotiate with the European Union uh, over the terms of our leaving. At the end of that, regardless of whether an agreement is reached, we have to leave. And so... That, if you like, starts the clock. Now, the government has not triggered that process yet. Uh, it's go it says it will trigger it by, uh, by March next year. But just recently, the, uh, the High Court in Britain, which is one below the Supreme Court, the ultimate court in, uh, mm -hmm. in the United Kingdom, judged that the, uh, the Parliament would have to vote on this before it could actually go through because the referendum was only advisory. Now, it was thought that the prime minister would be able to trigger that, but that has been ruled unconstitutional. So, in short, we're in a real mess at the moment, but, uh, <laughs> but it will probably sort itself out in the way that our unwritten constitution usually does. So talk to us about what you see the parallels are of kind of this nationalist mu movement that was behind the Brexit, you know, shutting down the borders, controlling immigration, and what you see going on with here in the United States with Donald Trump. Okay, well, in order to look at this, it's necessary to go back to the 1980s. In the 1980s, you know, the uh, the era of MTV and uh, lots of exciting, uh, lots of exciting movie videos and etc. We had Ronald Reagan in charge in the United States. And we had Margaret Thatcher in charge of of, uh, of Britain. And during that time, political scientists started to use the phrase authoritarian populist. So that became a uh, that became a theoretical uh, theoretical thing for uh, for political scientists on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, the idea that both the leaders shared a certain uh, a certain core set of beliefs, and uh, and that their supporters also shared these opinions and attitudes. Now, those opinions were things like a sort of cynicism over over human rights, an anti-EU position in Britain, anti-immigration, and pro-strong defence within their uh, within their foreign policy. Now, at the time, that was discussed at the theoretical level, but as time has moved on, and particularly in the sort of last five years in this country. 
people have started to talk about the return of populists, moving away from the old, old ideas of left and right wing or liberals and conservatives, as you had over there, and thinking instead about these new ideas, authoritarian populists versus elites, the establishment versus everyone else. The kind of themes that have been mentioned again and again in the coverage of the US election and have been mentioned again and again in the coverage of Brexit. And so we went to 12 different countries across the European, uh, across the continent of Europe, conducting surveys to try and calculate the percentage of the electorate in each of those countries that holds some degree of authoritarian populist views. Mm. And the results were remarkable. Yeah. We found that in a large number of the countries we looked at, uh, close to half, if not more than half, and in some cases more than three quarters of the population held these views. Now, this is interesting, of course, because it has huge implications for, uh, for electoral success. If a candidate like Donald Trump is able to mobilize effectively enough of these authoritarian populists, they can form a core part of that individual's or that party's support. And so this is a big deal in the U.S. It's a big deal in the U.K., but with France and Germany holding major elections next year, it's going to be a big deal for them too. And this could be the major discussion in political science, mm. indeed in politics and the news for the next decade. Wow. I mean, because it, it is. We, for years it was about globalization. It was about opening up our borders, getting our messages out there and our, and our marketing out there and our markets opened up. And, and so this is really more about shutting it down. But in Europe, it seems like it's it's um, even more ominous in a way, simply because of of the history of Europe. And also the party system over here means that uh, means that you have some far right wing, some would characterize them extremist parties that they themselves can't necessarily gain power, but they can exert a huge influence on the major parties that court power. And so if you have, for instance, 15, 18% of the vote, then that can be the balance of power in a mm. coalition negotiation, for instance. And so that's very, that's very important. So you have parties like the Golden Dawn in, uh, sorry, Golden Dawn in Greece, Alternative for Deutschland in Germany, uh, Front National in France, uh, the Swedish Democrats, the True Finns, mm. uh, the Austrian Freedom Party, all across, uh, all across Europe you have these, uh, you have these groups. And it, while it's true that, uh, that the group you were talking about, the sort of internationalist in, in this country, pro-EU, liberal group, that tends to be the single largest individual group mm. in, this, uh, in this new um, way of looking at things. But once the authoritarian populists accounted together, they almost always uh, overcome that, uh, that number. And so the potential is definitely there for, uh, for a big impact. Well, and that's, I think, it, it did sway the, elect the electorate here in, in the U.S. We, I think it surprised us that a, a smaller percentage of people that were feeling so strongly kind of a nationalist thought, uh, it, it, it turned elections. Talk about how this came to be. What, why is it that people would turn to populism now? What are the, what are the conditions making it up? Uh, well, there's a lot of different things going on. And I'll use the British example, if I may, to, yeah. to talk about what's happening in this country as an example. Uh, one of the things that we've seen over the last, well, really 10 years, but going back even further, is a decline in trust 
for the elites, for the establishment, but particularly for the political class. And so each of the major parties in Britain since 1992 has, has all got something they can point to that was a major, uh, major error, whether it's the Iraq war or, uh, or a financial crisis that, uh, that happened in 1992. So each of the parties has that problem. So their supporters, the trust that they had was dented. Plus you have things more recently, such as the global financial crisis, uh, and we had problems with, with uh, our, our elected members and their, uh, and their expenses recently. All of these things start to undermine trust in the established, uh, in the established order. And at the same time, you have uh, a situation where globalization has led to really great things for many people, right. but others have been others have been left behind, and a lot of focus has been paid, uh, a lot of attention and focus has been paid to that, both here and in Europe and in the U.S. The idea that a certain proportion of the population has been left behind, they feel the world has moved on in a way that they did not consent to, and that they are not comfortable with, and. As a result, they have become dissatisfied, distrusting, disapproving, not just of politicians specifically, but of the whole political class. And they have been left behind. A lot of attention has been paid to the economic side of this, the fact that factories have closed, jobs have moved on. But in a lot of cases for a lot of people, it's beyond simply economics. It's about, uh, it's about society. It's about cultural change. It's about, uh, in some cases, it's about spiritual change. Mm. The, the fact that in all of these areas, political, economic, social, cultural, spiritual, changes have happened that they are not comfortable with. Mm. And that's what's led to this, uh, and that's what's helped to lead to this rise of, uh, of authoritarian populism and an alternative to the established order. Interesting. Joe, we're speaking with Joe Twyman, um, a wonderful resource. He's from YouGovs. Uh, he's the head of political and social research for Europe and the Middle East. And he's talking about a, a study that they did with 12 different countries over Europe and showed that this uh, authoritarian populism... It's on the rise, folks, and you're seeing some form of it here in the United States as well. Important to understand it. It's more than just an economic movement. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. It's cultural. It's, it's about change. And it's about moving forward in an open society versus a more closed society. We'll continue the discussion when we come back. More with Joe Twyman in a minute. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Joe Twyman from YouGov.com, and he's put together an incredible, um, I think, study throughout Europe to show that there is some major shift and change in how people want to be governed. Up to 50% of the 12 countries that they – even up to as high as 75% of the the countries that they studied and evaluated now hold anti-immigrant nationalist views – according to this study. And we, too, may have been uh, seeing some of much of that in this election with Donald Trump. We appreciate you, Joe. Thank you so much for being with us. No problem at all. Talk about, um, I mean, this gets a little scarier as far as all the countries you studied. Germany, only 18 percent were showing these views. But like you said, that 18 percent could could sway a majority. 
Uh, yes, that's right, because uh, because it's the impact that those smaller parties will have on on the larger parties that's important. And that's true in Germany and France, these two major powers within the European Union. Uh, and in both countries, you have uh, you have an established uh, right wing party, uh, an established extreme right wing party in. Uh, in Germany, it's the alternative for Deutschland, and in France, it's, uh, it's Front National. Now, various things, support in France for Front National is much higher than it is for alternative uh, for Deutschland. But in both cases, the, uh, it's highly unlikely that that party would actually win power. Instead, it's what the mainstream parties will do, the concessions that they will grant, the policies they will adopt in order to win over support either from the party itself in a coalition situation where no one party uh, wins overall control of the parliament or in terms of uh, in terms of their supporters in a bid to uh, in a bid to bring them uh, to bring them on board and so this can have a this can have the effect of moving the entire political spectrum in their direction and mm. that can uh, that can have major consequences given their position on things like immigration and membership of the European Union. And you see, I, I believe I read it in your article about Sarkozy, who's trying to regain his position and power, and many are actually adapting their views more to this nationalist approach. Yes, and we saw a very similar thing in uh, in this country. We had a, a party called the United Kingdom Independence Party, which they, in their defense, would not characterize themselves as uh, as an extreme party, but they did hold many of these views. They were certainly anti EU and campaigned vociferously for removal from Britain from the European Union, and they're also strongly anti-immigration. And uh, and that party really, I mean, it zoomed up the uh, up the polls over the last five years. I mean, we went from a situation where in 2010 they won three percent of the vote uh, to the point where in 2014 they were the largest party at the European level elections that we had that uh, that year. And so huge support for, for them compared to where they had, uh, had come from. And how did the mainstream parties respond to that? Well, they were taking supporters from each of the main parties, but at least initially this mainly came from the Conservatives. And so what did the Conservatives try to do? They tried to, if you like, out UKIP, UKIP. They tried to imitate uh, the language, imitate the way that they operate, and imitate some of their policies in the hope that that would bring people back on uh, back on board now that was successful to a point but the sacrifices that uh, that the conservative party had to make in some cases were uh, were quite extreme the most obvious case being to promise to hold a referendum on british membership of the european union uh, which david cameron the prime minister then went on to lose resulting in him having to resign so i mean if mm. you want to if you want to trace things back there you can see that the impact can be really enormous oh yeah and we are seeing it with the protests here how many um comments are being made about muslims in our country that are afraid and and worried about what's going to happen hispanic americans who now have a president-elect that wants to build the wall. And um, I, I guess that part of the big thing is the anti-immigrant views. And, and in your article, you cite, um, I guess this is where it gets complicated because we feel culturally, people start to feel like they're culturally being bombarded. These The immigrants are coming in. I think you cite something about um, some of the uh, North, Afri- North Africans that come in that don't necessarily integrate. And, and then they use that as fodder to... To I guess to to create legislation against these people. 
Uh, well, yeah, this is the uh, this is the thing. In um, certainly across Europe, there's been a period over the last two or three years of substantial migration, the like yeah. of which we haven't seen since the Second World War, with uh, with people from Libya, with people from Syria uh, being displaced both internally and then into uh, into Europe. Now, this has caused uh, this has caused huge uh, huge divisions in uh, in the electorate in terms of their support. You have a situation where Angela Merkel as Chancellor of Germany, said we will take a million refugees, uh, which uh, a policy that was popular initially, but then uh, its popularity fell away. Had a lot of controversy with, uh, with refugee camps in France, with people coming to Britain. And, uh, and in a lot of cases, the established parties in each of the, uh, in each of the countries all had a pro-immigration uh, position and, talk, and generally tended to talk about it in economic terms, hmm. uh, or in terms of uh, in terms of humanitarian issues, whereas actually for a lot of people, they were concerned, they were sceptical, they were cynical even about the impact that mass, as they saw it, uncontrolled immigration would have not just on the economic circumstances but on the cultural issues within the uh, within the country. And indeed, it was in a lot of cases the perception of immigration, the fear of immigration, mm. that was more important than actual levels of immigration. And so in areas with high immigration, support for immigration tended to be, uh, uh, tended to be high itself. In areas with low immigration, support for immigration tended to be very low. But in areas where there had been a great deal of change, even if in absolute terms it was still very small numbers, then that's where uh, support for immigration was at its lowest. And the established parties across Europe never really got a hold of that. And so that allowed, um, uh, that allowed the, uh, the seeds of, of this authoritarian populism mm. to develop and for parties to emerge from the shadows and really gain support from, uh, from these disaffected, uh, disaffected voters. Mm. Well, Joe, man, I wish we had another hour. I'd love to pick your brain some more this is this is a this is a strange future a strange twist in things but your research i think has added a lot to uh to at least understanding what's going on again joe twyman is his name go to yougov.com and you can see the results of the surveys and his studies there and read more in depth on what's going on there joe twyman yougov's head of political and social research for europe and the middle east and africa we thank you for being with us Folks, this is it's an interesting thing. If you're not careful, you can turn your concerns about in the US, we turn it about terrorism, right? Like boy, this the 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 migration from Syria, they're bringing in terrorists, we start to make it a a safety issue when in reality it might just be simple fear, fear of losing our culture, fear of losing our religious positioning, fear of losing um America. And yet, if you're not, if you don't watch it, you also will step on the rights of others. And some of the great things that have made America great were a melting pot, right? Well, kind of, but not. There's a very powerful uh, movement going on, and it's got to be governed, I think, with a lot of character and a lot of principle, or it will be used in a corrupt way and and harm people. Last thing we need is to just create... Uh, a more nationalistic world, borders shut, and we're only going to take care of ourselves. We, we're going to live or die together in so many regards moving forward. Stick with us. 
We'll uh, continue to discuss topics like this. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Friday to you. You made it another week. We're so proud of you. Life is good. You know, you may not love everything that's going on politically, but... Look at it this way. You still have a family. You still have freedom, rights. You're blessed. Still have clear access to Mexico. You still have a straight shot to Mexico. Uh, Again, we we found out yesterday that there uh, is apparently a maple wall that's going to be built. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? uh, That sounded very Canadian. The maple wall will be the wall that would keep... All the American, the the uh, those from USA in the United States, because we're trying to unify the country, and this is just one way to kind of yeah. give give it a little boost. We're never going to unify a country if everyone's leaving. I know, right? So it's much better if you build a wall so they can't get out. Let's just all stay here, work out these problems together. Can't we all just be friends? Can't we all just get along? Today, by the way, this will help everybody feel better. National Sunday Day. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. We scream, See, now this one's not as annoying as the other one. Yeah. The funny thing about this song, it's some, it's one woman standing apparently in her bedroom singing the song with hand gestures. She is super happy, though. 165,000 views on that bad boy. Hmm. This is one of those songs that you'd see on YouTube that has an hour-long version to it. Yeah. I can put that together for <sighs> nope, you if nope, you'd nope, like. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, it's I... It's not even, a problem. No, I'd turn this one off even. It's... Uh, the last two songs... This song and the other song for Ice Cream Day, it's not working for me. It's... It, uh, it's affecting me. You know, it really wouldn't take me all that much time nope, to put nope, that don't even worry about it. together. We've got so much to talk about uh, today. We will be getting um, into a, the topic with uh, a researcher here at BYU about smartphones. They may not be the best choice if you want your child, your teenager to lose weight. Hmm. They're, they're a great supplement to weight loss. Um, I have an app right now that I, I enter in everything I eat, which is a really fun thing to do. See, I, I've done that, and I've actually found success with it. I have, too. I love yeah. that. Except they found in the research, if you have to compare that to meeting with a weight, you know, a nutritionist and a doctor on your weight every week, hmm. it's better to meet with a doctor or a nutritionist, another human. I can only plug stuff into the app for about a week before I get tired of it. Yeah, me yeah. too. But boy, that's a good week. Because you eat, I eat differently when I know I'm about to chart it. I usually, uh, me and my wife, usually, when we do that, we usually go together. Kind of, we can support so each other. you have a partner. Um, I get more calories because I'm bigger than she is. And you're a Therefore, pig. at the end of the night, she's done. 
and hungry uh-huh. and I still have like 400 calories and I go, hmm, I'm going to go get me some whatever and she gets <laughs> mad. So it's kind of fun that way for me. Yeah, no wonder your wife calls me a lot. Yeah. Are you coming to my date night tomorrow? Um, No. Sadie's coming. She's bringing her man. Oh, you're, you're not coming? No. My wife's out of town. <sighs> Jeff, you can come by yourself. That would be kind of depressing. It really would be because we're, we're going to. We don't uh, want to burn all of our babysitters with our, our oh, you kids. Don't wanna, so. you, you don't want to burn your babysitters and save your marriage? I understand. It's okay. Our marriage is great. It's not what she said. Mm. She called. We just used the babysitter last week for Doctor Strange, so... That's why she needs... She got a good nap, though, so (laughs) I think things are looking up for her. I can't believe you're still married. Yeah. I mean that in the best way possible. I hear that often, but people just don't understand. She really must get get you. You have to find the right person. Well, yeah. She's a good temperament. She is. She's obviously a saint. (laughs) she's taken a major hit for the world. I mean, not a hit. That sounds negative. Well, that's how you meant it, though. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. She's she's trying. <laughs> she loves you. She You're does. A monster. That's neat. Um, and I bring so much to the table, you just can't deny. You do. No, you really do. The benefit that I give her in her life. You really do. On you, a daily basis. You probably do more household chores and work mm. than than the average male. Or then even the advanced male. Absolutely. Plus, you're, you take your child, number one, you take him aside and entertain him. As best I can. With a... A pool noodle. A pool yes. noodle. <sighs> okay. We'll get to all this fun. Plus, we may, <laughs> we may save uh, the South marriage. It's going fine. Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. Because yeah. she got a nap. She got a nap last week. She's great. Oh, geez. She's going to the spa this weekend with her sister. See, that's a smart one. And I'm going to take the kids slash watch football for four hours. It's great. Oh, that is good. <laughs> well, then let's just know that Sadie's the only one that will have a happy marriage. She'll be great. Life. Yeah. Um, let's uh, go to the Sadie then and have Sadie talk to us about the headlines around the country. Sadie, what's up? During a Thursday hearing on Trump University fraud trial, Judge Gonzalo P. Curiel rejected a broad request from the Donald to bar campaign statements made during the presidential election from consideration. The 45th president-elect may renew objections on a case-by-case basis when specific evidence is discussed during the impending trial November 8th. On November 8th, Curiel said in San Diego. Trump also asked to ban campaign speeches, tweets, statements about campaign surrogates, other litigation, comments about the case, tax issues, and statements at debates. Curiel, whom Trump attacked for his Mexican descent during early hearings, also denied those requests. Donald Trump's campaign chairman, Steve Bannon, is a lead candidate to become Trump's White House chief of staff, the New York Times reported on Thursday. Bannon is the former executive chairman of the website Breitbart News and had originally suggested he'd like to return to the website following the campaign. Bannon's lead competition for the White House gig, however, is the the Times reported, is the current RNC chairman, Reince Priebus. Two days after Donald Trump was elected president, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, an ardent Trump supporter, admitted the president-elect's promise to get Mexico to fund his proposed border wall may have just been a campaign device. He may not spend much time trying to get Mexico to pay for it, Gingrich said in a hypothetical border structure, but it was a great campaign device. Gingrich, who spent who is reportedly being considered for the role of Secretary of State, said what Trump will spend a lot of time is on, however, is controlling the border. And finally, yes. 
An 18-month-year-old girl from South Carolina has inherited her family's unique white hair birthmark. What? Following three huh. generations of women who have the trait. Millie Anna represents the fourth generation of women in her family who, to have this white shock of hair. It's literally, they have black hair and then it's a like completely white stripe. A white tuft. A stripe of hair down like a there. a skunk. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like Pepe Le Pew. Um, apparently, the hereditary trait is caused by a condition called polyosis or a lack of melanin in huh. the hair. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, okay, so at what point do you worry more about aesthetics than, you know, family tree? You know, I think that's it looks neat. I think I that's think cool. It looks really cool. It kind of reminds me of uh, Corella DeVille. Oh, boy, that's not cool. Uh, it's it's more of a fashion statement. She used to kill Dalmatians for a fur coat. Okay. Well, well sorry, she would hire <laughs> out. She would hire out. She had some henchmen. She didn't do the <laughs> dirty work herself. That's I, By the way, a lot of people went as Cruella de Vil and Jasper this year, and then they dressed their baby like a, a Dalmatian. Dalmatian. Ooh, just something to think about, Sadie. That's kind of scary. Down the road. Um, interesting, Sadie. Okay, so you would keep it, huh? I would keep it. I think it's really unique. To well, your person and to your traits. I think it's is it, but it's only runs with the women in the family. Uh, yeah, I don't think it said anything about the men having it. So That's there sad. you go. Very interesting. Not an equal opportunity birthmark. I do know someone though uh, who I served a mission with in Texas, and he has a white stripe of hair right here as a birthmark. Where is it? Right here. Really? Yeah, on the front. It could be very dignified. I it think could be. you ask any man, and they would rather go gray than bald in a heartbeat. Yeah. I'm going gray, and everyone thinks – they always say, you look dignified. And then I show them my back because I'm like a gray back. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> wow. But you – Too much information. I, I think most men would rather go gray. <coughs> you all right, Jeffrey? <laughs> Jeff apparently choking on breakfast. <laughs> Hang in there. Glad they edited that cut. It used to be really That's bad. That's not a cut. We ha- we've played that before in a different version, and it's really not appetizing. It's very graphic. <laughs> well, thank you, Sadie. Um, okay, where do we begin? There, there's just so much to talk about, mm. and so little time. Let's uh, let's talk criminals. Kind of do a little bad boys segment here. Why not? I mean, where else would you go? We don't have to talk about Trump and Clinton anymore. We may never. She was walking her dog yesterday. Did you see that? No. Yeah. Was she? Some some woman took a selfie with her, and she was just out walking her dogs near her home. Just That's lost it. the presidential election yesterday. Just walking my dogs with my husband, hanging out. Seriously though, you spend eighteen months and all that money and all that energy, and then these dreams and aspirations, and for months thought you were going to win. Yeah. And then you're relegated to walking your dog. Walking your dogs. She'll join the Chappaqua yeah. PTA. What well, do you do? She doesn't have kids, so she can't be in the PTA. Well, that, hey, they'll let grandmas in. She has leadership experience, apparently. She starts to take over the <laughs> town council. Okay, oh. criminals, sorry. Okay, criminals. Uh, home invasion suspect arrested after running into a tree and knocked unconscious. Was he fleeing? Yes. Apparently, we've talked about this before. You really need to think it through. According to a Michigan State police, around 1.10 a.m. on Saturday, troopers were dispatched to a home for a home invasion. 
The homeowner initially woke after hearing a noise at the front door, then heard several loud bangs and went upstairs to investigate. The homeowner then saw a male subject inside the entryway of the home. After confronting and yelling at the intruder, the suspect fled on foot. When troopers arrived, they were able to locate the suspect who ran into the woods. But despite orders to stop, the suspect continued to run away Hmm. in the dark woods. Which is always a good plan. Yeah. The suspect was eventually located by state police canine lying on the ground unconscious. And it appeared that the suspect had had ran into a tree. Watch out for that tree. Out. Cold. George of the jungle. As you know. On the show, we like to um, we like to help everyone. We don't just help Republicans or Democrats. We we don't just help you know those without a criminal record. We help everybody, and so we have asked Maxim Maximov, one of our great Russian criminals, still I think in the poke. It's, is he in the, is he'll he, be there for a while. Yeah, part of his rehabilitation yeah. is he's to do some community service, reach, outreach, help other people. But he gives advice to felons. Be smarter. Be yeah. smarter felons. A little Maxim Maximov. Now it's time for Maxim Maximov's Maxim. Здравствуйте. Меня зовут Maxim Maximov. Hello, my name is Maxim Maximov. I may be inmate in Russian Gulag, but I am sincerely wanting to give back to community. I do this by answering letters from fellow inmates and help them to be reformed and quality individuals. This letter from inmate number 626473. He says, Police arrest me after attempted home invasion. The homeowner yell at me and I flee on foot and run into woods. But police catch me after I run into tree and knock myself unconscious. What I do wrong? Well, Tavarish, here are three tips to help you when or if you ever get out. Number one, perhaps you not wear intimidating disguise when you break into home. May I suggest you dress like clown and paint big smile on face. Owner of home will remember old saying... Beware the evil behind the smiling eyes and will run screaming into room. Number two, when you run into woods, you forget old saying, trees have eyes. Perhaps trees inform on you to police and that is why they arrive so fast. Number three, during police chase is bad time to take nap. Yes, you may have been knocked unconscious, but perhaps you not have strong will. Remember... Where there is will, there is way. That sound mean time to go. Please join us for the next episode of Maxim Maximov's Maxims. Do svidaniya. What a great guy. He's here to help. He's so giving. Didn't you visit him at one point? Yeah. Yeah. What I was could, that like? Well, I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Uh, we. You must do editing on his... You must be running him through the interpreter. Could he's, you, got, he's got a very strong Russian accent. Could you understand him there, though? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you are using the Russian interpreter tool we have? Yeah. It's a great tool. You've got to. Yeah. It allows us to to get, you know, I mean, we, we couldn't have a correspondent from Russia prison. You got out of there just in time, too. I, if I remember correctly, they That's were... The they were this close to to throwing you in one of their cells. 
Oh yeah. There's a bit of a misunderstanding. Yeah. 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 I didn't know. Yeah. They, I, I didn't like being frisked the way they do that. Well, and you forgot to leave your, your bag mm-hmm. at the security checkpoint. Yeah. And they were not happy about no. that. And you don't want to be caught in a Russian prison. I mean, speaking from experience, yeah, you've been in a Russian prison, almost, really, yeah. But I'd talk my way out of it. Okay, I mean, that's great and all. <laughs> Up next, we're going to be talking uh, diets, diet choices. Is smart? Are smartphones the way to do it? If you have to go on a diet, and uh, or you want your kids to be healthier and stay healthier, do we just connect them to the smartphone and that'll get it? That'll take the pounds off. Well, according to some research out of BYU, eh, it's not the best tool. We'll give you the insight on that so you can live longer. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a smart life. Teens use smartphones successfully to do almost anything. In fact, everything. They learn new skills, communicate with friends, do research, catch up uh, on their Pokemon catches. But are smartphones useful for helping teens maintain weight loss? Dr. Chad Jensen of Brigham Young University studies, um, um, he studied prevention of and the intervention for childhood and adolescent obesity. He conducted the survey and study using smartphones and he's come up with some pretty interesting research that I think as parents we all need to know about. Dr. Chad Jensen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. This was, I think, a, an important study today because everybody, I'm using it even right now to try to watch my calories and, and input my weight. My Apple Watch helps me know how many steps I've taken. We're using a lot of technology, but you're finding out from your study that um, – if we had to choose between maybe having a coach, a professional, a doctor, a nutritionist to meet with versus just our phones, one of them might serve us a little better long-term to lose weight. Talk to us about your research, Chad. That's right. We know that teens use smartphones a lot. In fact, the national uh, data suggests around 60 texts per day for most teens, so that's a lot of text messaging mm. and even a lot more social media use. So we, we think this might be a productive avenue for intervening at the level of weight control. You know, about 30% of teens are either overweight or obese, and that's a large percentage of the population, probably the most common chronic pediatric condition we know of. So this is a, a large group that could benefit from some help with uh, with managing their weight. We've, uh, we've conducted intervention trials for some time now, and we've recently started using smartphones as part of our interventions. We're really interested in whether smartphones can increase the efficacy of weight control interventions uh, and help teens to keep the weight off long-term. That's one of the challenges that the the, uh, research in adolescent weight control faces is we're often able to help teens lose weight successfully, but keeping the weight off is is more of a challenge once people are finished with treatment. Mm. And and so you targeted teens and you then, I guess you you basically broke it into two different approaches. Talk about how right. you tested it. That's right. So this uh, this this is a pilot trial. We're, we're interested in sort of a, a proof of concept for using smartphones for this purpose with teens because very little work has been done in this area. Surprisingly, more has been done with, with adults than with teenagers, um, which is surprising given that teens use smartphones 
so frequently. Uh, so our approach was to evaluate the use of the smartphone in conjunction with in-person treatment, where one of our clinical psychology doctoral students provided an intervention to the teens in a group format over a 12-week period. They had smartphones during that time also, so we were texting them three times a day. They were, they were uh, recording their diet and physical activity using a self-monitoring app, um, and those components comprised the smartphone portion of the intervention. Now, after the 12 weeks were finished, we were interested in whether teens could keep the weight off over the long term. So we, we just used the electronic intervention at that point, just text messaging and electronic monitoring. Now, we had access to their self-monitoring data, so we tailored all those text messages based on things that they were doing well and things they weren't doing so well. So we'd send text messages such as, remember to eat breakfast this morning, or providing suggestions for healthy snacks that could replace less healthy snacks. Hmm. So, uh, so we're... You know, we think that there's real promise in using um, smartphones to be to be able to provide in-the-moment intervention that's tailored, uh, given the the specific individual's unique challenges with controlling their weight. Was then they would you would send them text messages, but were they like on a group chat with with the group that went through the intervention? Yeah, great question. They were not, and that's one of the one of our conclusions from our study is we found that that teens were able to uh, lose weight successfully during the intervention, the 12-week intervention period. In fact, they lost between about two and three percent of their total body mass, which is wow. which is a pretty reasonable uh, result. However, they weren't able to maintain their success after treatment ended. So there wasn't a wasn't sort of a group chat component. The teens received text messages from our treatment group, but not from one another. And one of the pieces of feedback that we got from the teens was they really wanted more connection with peers their age. So one of our conclusions from the study is that we'd really like to uh, to work on integrating more social support from other teens. Some other groups have done things like you know, Facebook groups for teens who participated in a group together and have already established relationships with each other. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, establishing uh, peer support from people who are already in the peer group of the adolescent themselves. So those are those are some of the things we think might be helpful in helping to maintain weight loss because our, our smartphone intervention alone uh, didn't, didn't help them keep the weight off. <laughs> Is it... Is it the camaraderie of it? Is it the kind of the teamsmanship of it? Or is it accountability? Were you able to discern? Yeah, I think there's certainly a mix. And our research doesn't really give us data to that to speak to that question. But I think there's solid evidence that um, that social support provides uh, some accountability. Also, uh, someone sort of feeling like you're in this together and sharing uh, ideas and methods that that people have found successful can be quite helpful. So there's sort of multiple ways that social support can be beneficial. You know, one other consideration with our study is that there are some other components of weight control interventions that our that our study didn't provide, um, especially after we were finished with seeing them in person. For example, there's there's some evidence that um, that if you that if you do things like providing them uh, more intervention content in addition to text messages, so for example, one of the one of the adult studies actually sends videos to participants that gives them additional mm. intervention content yeah. uh, later, and you can you can send those as pop-ups on smartphones, which which have been shown to be quite successful. So that's something else that we'd like to look at in the future. It seems like. Um the the benefit of smartphone might also be disruptive right it's so it so disrupts your life that 
And if you if I got enough text messages that were motivational at times, I guess, educational, informative, supportive yeah. and accountable, I might be so busy I don't go to the fridge as much. Correct. That's right. And and one of our strategies has been to intervene at mealtime. So all of our text messages huh. were sent around the times when meals would be eaten. Um, and so that, that a strategy sort of gives them reminders that are relevant to their specific um, specific needs at that moment. The other piece is we've typically tailored these messages uh, in person. So our clinicians are the ones who send them the text messages, uh, which, which in some ways limits our ability to intervene with larger groups of teams. Mm. So one of our, one of the directions we've moved now is having, um, having automated text messages that are computer generated and tailored based on the individual's self-monitoring data. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So as you gather and collect new data on them, you right. you can adapt. The... Yeah. And we can look at trends to see if a certain type of message is more effective for that person. If if so, we'll send more of that kind of message, right? Hmm. I guess there's cell phones are going to become, I, as you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking, man, wait till some of these for-profit organizations that are helping trying to get people to lose weight hear about your study. They'll, they're going to jump on and you know, use tech, yes. use tech as an additive tool. Yeah, I think that's correct. And a number of the large national organizations that are that are for profit weight loss programs already have applications that are designed to meet this function. Uh, these programs don't frequently serve teens. However, we find hmm. very few teens that are enrolled in programs like this. So I, I think, from our perspective, we, you know, we we believe that we could reach a much larger proportion of teens and help them with weight loss. One of the challenges that we that we face is that parents are less likely to identify their child as overweight or obese. Um, often that's left to physicians to sort of alert parents to that problem. Mm. Um, and sometimes uh, that step doesn't even happen. So, so one of our, you know, one of the things that motivates us is we find that if teens are able to, to maintain a healthy weight into adulthood, that they, they usually stay on that trajectory. Whereas if they're, if they remain overweight or obese throughout adolescence, they're likely to be overweight or obese as adults. Mm. So we find this to be a really important period for intervention. If we can help teens establish healthy habits now, uh, then they're much more likely to be healthy into adulthood. Uh, it's interesting that parents, we, we do, we tend to have, a, I guess, weight goggles on where we can't see, right. we can't see the, I mean, even if you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, you know, you're, you've put on some weight, you, I will always walk out thinking, no, duh. Get right. off my back. Right. Jeez. Right. But I can imagine if you're telling me my child is uh, also gaining weight, uh, overwhelming probably. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's, it's difficult news for parents to hear, and often they don't, they don't know where to turn and where to go for help. So one of our goals is to, to help provide parents a healthy option for helping their child to manage weight. You know, some parents will, will turn to fad diets or other extreme means to help their teens lose weight, and, and we don't think that's necessarily the best approach, especially given the developmental processes going on in adolescence. So, so our, our approach is definitely a lifestyle approach where we're asking teens to do things that are healthy no matter what your weight is, um, and the goal is sort of um, a little bit of weight loss, and in some cases, you don't even necessarily need to lose weight. Maintenance is sometimes sufficient because teens are, already, are still growing, yeah. and they sort of grow into that weight in some respects. Yeah, so if you could just quit 
the spread of it and quit yes, the growth of exactly. weight, then you might be able to grow into it. Precisely. We're speaking with Dr. Chad Jensen. Um, he is a professor of psychology at Brigham Young University. He earned his Ph.D. from the University of Kansas, and he researches um, prevention and intervention programs for childhood, adolescent obesity and related disorders. We will take a break, come back, talk more about the psychology of weight gain, weight loss, and what are some things we can be doing as parents to make sure that we uh, we are on top of it a little bit more. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Our goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. We'll be right back. Friends, the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, fighting teenage obesity, it is one of the biggest uh, issues that our kids are dealing with when it comes to health. And it it's not going away unless we as parents step up and get real about what is happening. Um, so to, to help us through this, Dr. Chad Jensen joins us by phone, again, a professor of psychology at Brigham Young University, and he researches and addresses prevention and intervention programs for childhood and adolescent obesity. Chad, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Happy to be with you. When we – there is a psychology to to eating and to weight loss and – um, I've been talking to family members who I know are like the most disciplined humans on earth. And if you, if they made a decision to quit eating or drinking anything, they'd be able to do it. And then I know others that just like food and it means home and it makes them feel warm and comfy inside. Talk about how our head impacts our food choices and our ability to stick to a diet. Certainly. The food reward piece is a real challenge because most of us prefer to eat high-calorie foods, right? There's right. there's sort of an evolutionary basis to that, and we know that under conditions of scarcity, there was an adaptive quality to sort of preferring those foods and eating a lot of them when they were available. But now our environment sets us up to, to gain weight because food is so widely available in large quantities and relatively cheaply. So so I, I think when you consider how the how the brain impacts people's decisions is there's there's a strong reward component and um and it's it's difficult to sort of inhibit the impulse to eat those high calorie foods. I think that the the science is pretty clear that that the thing that's most helpful is setting up the environment so that you're more likely to be successful. So Thanksgiving dinner is a great example of this. There's a lot of variety, lots of calories all there at one meal, and um, most of us consume way more calories than than we probably would to feel full at most other meals because right. there's such high variety in high quantities and sort of everybody's going along with consuming lots of food. Uh, a contrasting perspective is if you have um, if you have a house full of healthy foods, fruits and vegetables, and fewer high calorie foods, then then you're going to eat the foods that are available to you. So one of our approaches with intervening with teens and families is is simply to help them shift the the quality of the foods that they have available in the house because that really drives what people eat. And you know I think that the, from a psychological perspective. Our goal is to make it easier to make healthy choices. So, so it, it's not a choice between cookies and apples. The, the choice is between apples and pears and carrots. Yeah. 
Um, and I think those, some of those decisions that we make um, in advance of our food decision-making are really powerful. A great illustration of this is if you go to the store feeling hungry, right, you're likely to buy high-calorie foods. <laughs> Whereas if you go after you've, you've had lunch, uh, you're more likely to buy the things that you had on your list, stick to right. the list. Yeah, and then it's uh, it, I've noticed it turns into just a financial decision. Like, oh, okay, we don't need that. Certainly, we don't need this. Um, yeah. Is it is there a typical construct for a child that is um, facing obesity? Do they have? Do they tend to be introverts, extroverts, or is it cross cultural, cross yeah. everything? Yeah, it really does cut across culture. There's there's no specific personality factors that we've established there. There seems to be some indication that impulse control might be one factor that's influential. This means your ability to sort of see something that looks appealing, but to override that impulse in the in the service of a larger goal, right? Yeah. So instead of eating that food, I'm, my, my goal is to, to control my weight, so I'm not going to consume it, right? That impulse control develops over adolescence, and some younger adolescents have have uh, have less than when they get older. So I think that that sort of reinforces this concept that that we don't want to sort of make a, make a decision for teens that's difficult for them. Rather, that we we would make it easy by saying these are the foods that are available, and you may choose from any of these healthy options. And we we provide foods that are higher in calorie, uh, less frequently, and in in portion sizes that are that are not going to lead to overconsumption. Hmm. And um, I guess that's it's interesting when you talk about impulse control because it's it seems like it collapses on itself. The more sugar you eat, the more sugar you need, the more sugar you want, the more sugar you crave. Yeah, that's right. And it just it just kind of falls in on itself. And there's some evidence that it. It uh, varies situationally. So Thanksgiving dinner, you don't have a lot of uh, social social reward for controlling your impulses, right? In fact, the opposite is true. So I think that you you have to think about situations like that. And one of our intervention strategies is to help teens consider difficult situations and how they're going to deal with them, right? How are they going to make sure that they, they don't overconsume at those events, hmm. birthday parties, celebrations? We have so much cultural pressure around these events that's sort of like eat, eat, eat some more. And if you're, if you're going to be successful with, with weight control, you sort of have to strategize in advance. Could I bring something that's going to be healthy? How am I going to make sure that I have just a serving of that food rather than three or four? Mm. Because much of our societal expectation is eat all you want, right? It's time to celebrate. And we, we believe it that celebrations are important and you should be able to participate in all of those things, but you just have to be smart about it and uh, moderation in all things. Is, um, is there anything to the psychology of uh, fighting the urge just drives that makes the urge stronger? So, yeah, because this, we, we see a lot of, I've heard a lot about that with pornography issues and, um, you know, instead of just always making it about suppressing the need, suppressing yeah. the need, it might be better to understand where it's coming from and, like you're saying, get conditioned and pre-trained and yeah. skills. Yeah, I think that's right. You, you, can only, you can only sort of inhibit impulses for so long with extended exposure, and, and there's some evidence that that ability actually declines when you're tired. So as the day goes on, there's sort of less ability to inhibit impulses. And, and that suggests that you being aware of the fact that you're not always going to be able to control impulses sort of pushes you in the direction of, of setting things up in advance so you're more likely to be successful. Hmm. How does weight gain um, and weight and obesity impact mental health? 
Yeah, that, there's there's pretty pretty uh, consistent evidence in teens and in adults that uh, that the weight's associated with a number of of outcomes that are not great, including poor academic performance, more uh, feelings of social rejection, some increased risk for bullying from peers. So these are these are a lot of potential negative consequences, and it's it's good to be aware of those. And we you know we work with a lot of a lot of teens who've experienced some of those problems. I think that our approach is, is uh, we try to focus on the positive and and note that there you know this isn't your weight does not does not define you as a person, um, and and rather than focus exclusively on weight loss, our goal is to help teens be healthy, and I think that's one good, uh, strong message for parents is that if your focus is, is exclusively on weight, then that can lead to lots of negative self perceptions and and potential for. Uh, for for difficult social interactions and and things like that. So I, I we typically advise parents to to focus more on the whole family living a healthy lifestyle. And mm. everything we do focuses on families because teens are still highly influenced by their parents and families. Um, friends become increasingly important, but parents still model for children, adolescents rather um, healthy behavior and and uh, especially they engineer the environment so that it's likely to, to lead to success. I think that's our one of our messages to parents early on in treatment is your role is an environmental engineer more than uh, than a micromanager. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't want parents to be constantly uh, criticizing every bite of food their teen takes. Rather, we want them to set up the environment so that the teen's able to make healthy choices within the within the limits that the parent has set up in the home environment. And especially, it just seems with food, because I could see a mother who's had a lot of history fighting her own weight issues, struggling about it, having a lot of anxiety over it. And then she sees a child starting to gain weight and they become controlling, anxious, and start mirroring that onto the child. Right. And then the child can develop a lot of stigma around any of their eating choices. And unfortunately, we we do know that uh, that emotional eating is a significant problem for teens who who adopt that mindset that, you know, n- now eating becomes a, a way to cope with distressing emotions. And that obviously is counterproductive. We'd prefer to help them identify some some more healthy ways to cope with stress and having parents avoid the criticism and um, and sort of over-intrusiveness is really an important part of our treatment approach. And I guess that goes back full circle to your study, um, why smartphones are great, they're supportive, they're additive, but having a really strong maybe coach, yeah. someone to be accountable to, and a network of people that they can talk to, even, I guess, other than family would be great. That's right. You need the support. And, and our uh, so our, our study also had a qualitative component where we conducted interviews with all the teens after the treatment was over. And uh, and the majority of them reported that they, they really wanted more social support hmm. as as part of their efforts to lose weight. And I think the the smartphones are great, but they're not a panacea. And absent other social support networks, I think that our evidence suggests that they that it, it loses effectiveness without that in-person piece. And and so I think we're we're sort of thinking, how do we how do we make this social support practical without continuing treatment with them for a lengthier period of time because the the cost is a factor and our ability to reach as many adolescents as possible um, sort of pushes us in the direction of finding ways to do this that are that are uh, natural within the teen's own environment yeah and and 
Boy, I could just see sharing best practices. Hey, have you tried this recipe or whatever? This is um, man, and and again, it also is so intuitive. It seems like like social media is just so intuitive to our children today that it could help. But again, good to know it's not smartphones aren't going to take the weight off. That's right, not by themselves. No, Uh, especially for teens. There's there are a few adult studies that have suggested that standalone smartphone interventions have been successful. But one of our observations is that when we saw teens in person, they were really consistent with self-monitoring, which means keeping track of all your food and exercise. Mm. One of the strongest predictors of success and weight loss is self-monitoring. When we saw them in person, they were really they were really consistent in self-monitoring. Whereas when we didn't see them in person, they really dropped off in in their tracking. And, and we think that's one of the strong reasons uh, for why they were less able to keep the weight off. And uh, social support can help people to stay on track with self-monitoring, right? They, they could get natural rewards, sort of competition between right. peers can be helpful. The other piece is there's uh, some research that suggests that implementing gamification into self-monitoring apps can be helpful. So it, it becomes something fun and enjoyable rather than something tedious yeah. and burdensome. I love that. Well, and boy, it all it all helps. Yes. It can all help. Well, Dr. Chad Johnson, thank you so much for your great research and insight. Uh, I, I truly believe you've changed some lives today. I know you changed mine. It's, a, it's interesting. Self-reporting, self-monitoring is my biggest issue as an adult. If I don't tell anybody, if I don't have to tell anybody about it, I'm probably less inclined to stick to it. Great lessons helping you live longer, folks. That's the goal. We'll take a break. Be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, folks, today, Veterans Day, a day when we honor the military veterans that have served our country so faithfully. And we want to thank them and uh, and just make sure everybody out there is thinking about the importance of these veterans. When you see them out there, thank them for their service. In memory of their service, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to spark the patriotism in all of us and share five things that she loves about America. If you didn't already know, today is a holiday. Maybe you forgot unless you got a coupon in the mail for a discount at Home Depot or a free meal. But today is a day we should all remember, coupons or not. It's Veterans Day. And no, this is not a holiday to nurse your injured pet back to health, as some of my fellow elementary classmates once thought. My grandpa says he was a vet in a war, just like the one you took your dog to when he was sick. Veterans Day is a public holiday held on the anniversary of the end of World War I to honor U.S. veterans and victims of all wars. And I do honor them. In fact, I've had several of my own family members serve for our country. And I'm so happy they fought for our freedom because I love our country. He was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. In honor of all of them and all of those who have been veterans or victims, I came up with some things that I love about America. Here are five reasons America is worth fighting for. And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille. He's the boogie-woogie bugle boy of Company B. What? Big portions and free refills. I'm a small person with a massive appetite. So I appreciate large American portions of food when I go to restaurants and a constantly full beverage. Saves me the trip of having to get up every few minutes to refill my plate. Who came up with the idea of buffets and never-ending pasta dishes? I owe them my life. 
road trips. Some of my greatest memories are flying down the highway, watching the scenery whiz past my windows, or stopping at a random rundown shop on the side of the road. America is a melting pot of diversity. Drive for a couple hours, and you can meet dozens of people from different cultures and backgrounds and see a diversity of landscape, too. From pine trees to palm trees in a matter of hours. Not to mention, we are blessed with driving rules. I'm so grateful for traffic lights and driving regulations, or else I'm pretty sure I would have been driven off the side of the road by now. Full refunds for returns. What greater freedom than being able to buy anything you want at Walmart? With the knowledge, you can go back and get all your money back. Uh, Hi, I want to return this burrito. Just for the mere fact that you didn't like it. Wasn't big enough. In America, we promote shopping repentance. You know, when you make a spontaneous decision and immediately feel remorse and that looming feeling like you just plunged yourself into a dark abyss of debt? In America, we believe in shopping redemption. Uh, Hi again. I want to return this 62-inch flat screen TV. Full refunds. Yeah, it wasn't big enough. For just bringing your sorrows and guilt back to the customer service lady and laying them on the table. Being friends with my superiors. Thank you for being a friend. We live in a great society where we can call our bosses by their first name, our teachers by nicknames, and refer to celebrities or leaders by their last name without a title. I love being able to work and learn from my friends rather than live under the oppression of superiors. It's cool how in America it's not weird to have parties at a professor's house or send a cat meme to your boss. Lowers my stress levels. Deodorant. Oh, the blessings of living in a country with basic hygienic policies and access to sanitation and water. Trust me, I realized this great American benefit after walking in the heat of midsummer for hours a day, months on end, in a foreign country. Can't you smell that smell? With nothing to arm me but a can of aerosol spray. People cannot consider that deodorant. I'm feeling so patriotic now. But really, I love this country, and I do want to take a moment to sincerely thank all those who have fought for our freedoms. All those who have sacrificed to keep America safe and all those who died or were injured in war so that I can enjoy my weekend returns to Walmart or my double-sized cheeseburger or just be speaking to you right now over these radio waves telling you what I love about my country. So thank you, veterans, victims, and thank your families. Happy Veterans Day, everyone. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. coming to America. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy Friday to you folks and Veterans Day, the day we celebrate all those that have served in the military. 
I'm telling you, we have a lot of very opinionated people on this earth. And um, and so many, even they almost dismiss people in the military. And there are people that will go out and go to war and not see their family for six months. And this is the convenient time of year. I mean, time of our history that this is going on. There were times where you would probably never see your family again. Now they're gone six months, nine months, a year. Impacts the family, impacts the kids, impacts the psychology of these people. Veterans. We need to celebrate them. If you see anybody that you know is a veteran today, make sure you say something. Thank them for their work. I love being on an airplane where some of these airlines now are are making a really big deal about veterans and military service, and they make an announcement. It's awesome. We need to do that. Again, we you just manifested the right to vote, and you may not have liked the the outcome, but none of it would be possible without the veterans of this great country. So we celebrate you today, and how do we do it? But with National Sunday Day. Strawberries. <laughs> we love ice cream. <laughs> if we could just give every veteran a Sunday. Get a scoop of that. Get a scoop of that. What? Ice cream. Yeah. What? Again, the third song we've played that has ruined Sundays for me. No, this is a rap at least. It's you can get moving to the beat with this one. And how about those those wigs they're wearing? Yeah. It's a lot of hair. A lot of hair in that wig. Veterans Day, National Sunday Day and uh so much to cover because it's Friday. We will also get into the movies today with Rod Gustafson. Find out what's coming up, um, uh, what's coming out in the theater. Some interesting shows you may not have even, I hadn't even heard of Arrival. Well, it's arrived. It's here, but it's killing it. It's having a lot of success. We'll get to that review. Remember, uh, Rod Gustafson is from parentpreviews.com. They review movies for families. Gives you, they give you a heads up on you know whether this would be a good one to take the kids to or not. It is a PG-13. We'll be talking about that. Plus, of course, we'll be visiting with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out about the football game between BYU and Southern Utah University. Yay. <laughs> that's negative. Yeah. Uh, that's tomorrow. But we'll be visiting with them in just about 35 minutes or so. It would be a good quarter of action in that game. Definitely a good quarter. Mm. Well, at least it's on at 1 p.m. instead of 8.30 or 10.30 p.m. This is one of those games that should be at 8.30 because then, then you're done watching by 10 because they've got through the first Except quarter. The they're up by 25 and you're are done. on ESPN and they yeah. wouldn't go near this game. Of course. Which has, you know. There's so you, some definite weaknesses and some issues of being independent. And that's because you have to play teams like this because right. you have holes in your schedule you have to fill. Nobody wants to play you at this time of year. And you still pay... You know, it's like full price for tickets, even though you're playing a substandard but, opponent. But, but, you know, it's fine. It's the fine. Next it's few no problem, games, no the, the next few games are the ones that will take them to eight and whatever, four or whatever the numbers will be. Right. It'll pump up the schedule. Yeah, I it'll hope make you, it look good towards the end. I hope you don't have to eat those words on Monday. Well, when they lose? What if they are lost you calling, to Are you calling Utah? a loss? I didn't say that. It's I'm what just I heard. nobody thought Trump would it's be elected. It's what words I'm trying to put into your mouth. I wonder if this team has a lot of Trump voters. Could be. Mm. Hope and change. Drama. Oh, wait. We um, will talk with our good buddies there. We will also be doing a hero story, of course. Find And, you know, we always like to end with a good, loving moment of goodness. I do it anyway. You do? Terry, not so much. Eh. 
Jerry doesn't even like us to mention that it's a weekend. I just think there's a lot of lot to do about Friday that there's really not much to be excited about. No, it's, you still have to go through the entire day of work. It's not like it's different. Oh, it's totally different. How's it's, that? In many places, it's casual. This is a casual re- Friday. This is a recording right now. We're, yeah. not, e- we're not even here. No, we're here. Because it's Friday like and we're working. <laughs> Constantly working. All that fun, but let's uh, start it all off with Sadie Nielsen and go through the headlines around the country. Sadie, what's up? Former Illinois Republican Representative Aaron Schock was indicted Thursday by a federal grand jury on 24 counts, including wire fraud and theft of funds. Schock, 35, was accused of improper reimbursements for non-work-related travel and other lavish expenses, like remodeling his Capitol Hill office to look like the downtown Abbey set. His defense team has chalked it up to his simple clerical errors. Clock resigned from Congress last March over the ordeal. In the wake of Donald Trump's election, many groups in the U.S., including African-Americans, Muslims and women, are feeling scared and uneasy. So while protests rage on in the country, one movement is using a simple yet powerful symbol to show support for anyone who is fearful of what is to come. By fastening a safety pin to their clothing, people are declaring themselves allies to groups who have been slandered by Trump to show what they stand. They stand united with anyone who might be afraid. A rundown factory that Oskar Schindler once used to save more than 1,000 Jews from the Nazi death camps during World War II will be restored to it into a Holocaust memorial, Czech officials have announced. The Czech Cultural Ministry named parts of the complex a cultural monument earlier this month. It plans to turn the factory into a Holocaust memorial and will be completed in 2019. Our aim is to restore the building to its original condition, including the watchtower, a spokesperson from the Oskar Schindler Foundation said. And finally, yes. Ah, um, Matt, do you like cats? I guess is the first question I should ask. Uh, I would say, I mean, I like them as one of the billions of species on this earth, or, whatever, or billions of animals. But I don't personally get along with them. Okay. So that's a big no. So yeah. you probably would not purchase this next product if you had a cat. A luxury cat food. For the insanely rich, oh boy. goes on sale this week, and a year's supply cost an eye-watering $9,820. Wow. British British Banquet contains caviar, line-caught Scottish salmon, hand-caught Norfolk lobster, and locally so- sourced Devon crab. Oh, my heavens. Each gourmet pack also includes organic asparagus, quinoa, and saffron for that extra touch of luxury of and course, refinement. Of course, quinoa is in there. <laughs> yep. The super premium fodder, which contains no preservatives, additives, or artificial colors, is also GM-free. It is not only fit for human consumption, but tastes absolutely wonderful, should owners feel tempted to try it. Nope. Uh, (laughs) Jerry, get out of the cat food. Um, And Simon Booth, owner of Green Pantry, says the food is aimed at insanely rich pet owners. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Like Dr. Evil. That's a tough marketing position. Yes. Right. (laughs) Only people with lots of money. Thank you. I just thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that they're marketing. Even humans can eat this. It's so delicious. I'm thinking, I don't think that would be something I would spend a lot of money of. I'd rather go get an expensive steak or something like that. Not cat food. That maybe does not taste good. There are people starving in the world. (laughs) They could eat cat food, apparently. And this cat is munching down on lobster? Yep. Wow. Crab? Salmon? Maybe they're trying to fatten them up so they can eat the cat. Ew. Mm. That was dark. Yeah. 
Moving right along. Um, thank you, Sadie. <laughs> that story was perfect. And then Jeff per- went- Perfect. Okay, moving on before we get stuck in our puns. No, yeah, let's not go there. Yeah. Try to think a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Move on. Let's um, uh, let's just throw that out with the rest of the litter. Anyway, the um Hey, do you have a, a scoop for us? <laughs> no. What's the that is the actual you just isn't scoop a name of a a name brand? You oh, know, like not. a scoop of litter. Yeah, no, but isn't that a name brand of litter? Probably. Scoop. Um, okay, get away, get away, get away. Stop. Now. Stop it right meow. <laughs> he said it again. Who put the quarter in Jeffrey? Okay, talk to me, Terry. Um, any headlines we need to worry about, we need to be focusing on as we wrap up the week? This one's kind of serious, but it's something that's been out there. Jeff Zuckerberg, he runs Facebook. Yeah. He's saying that the idea that Facebook has responsibility for fake news appearing on their service, that it's crazy that somehow that's Facebook's responsibility to deal with it. Oh, well, who who would be responsible for that? Well, he's saying he's not a news source. He is a data-driven product that other people post information to. So it's not his responsibility for for Zuckerberg oh. to have to figure that out. Hold on, let me get this Mark straight. Zuckerberg. Does he make does he does does Facebook actually make money when people post ads that are um stories Remember what are those called the 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 this fake story that looks like a real news story but it's really an advertisement for Right. It. Yeah. Does he make money on any of that? He might. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he's not responsible for when, you know, a grandma posts a fake story and furthers it along, but he is responsible if that same company bought the ad and put it through Facebook. So are these stories like a picture of Vin Diesel comes up and it's like, oh, we lost him too soon. And yeah. then you click on it. He's and, not even dead. Yeah. Interesting. BuzzFeed did an investigation looking into fake stories. Earlier this year, they found that the top right-wing Facebook news outlets published false or misleading stories 38% of the time compared to 20% for top left-wing outlets. So right-wing outlets publish more fake stories. 38% of the time versus – and, and the, the stories that both sides are publishing fake news stories. And then they, they had the problem where they had their trending topics. Yeah. And they had humans who were curating that and there was – uh, the story that they were taking uh, more right-leaning stories, conservative stories, and pushing them away so they wouldn't get any 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 trending, any any excitement that way, and only putting in left-wing stories. So they went ahead and fired the entire staff. <laughs> they automated that portion of the of the Facebook page, and then all these fake news stories started getting to the top of the national trending uh, topics. And so they didn't fix the problem; they yeah. made it worse. Right. But now he's saying it's crazy to think that they, he has any responsibility for that. Well, he's he owns Facebook. He's the only one that derives financial gain from this entire entity. Right. I mean, he's the one that he's the one that throttles the media. He's the one that chooses what goes where. Now, I get it. If people are putting the bad stuff on, sure. Except you also you benefit from all of these 
you know, hoodlums doing this. He says, personally, I think the idea that fake news on Facebook, which is a very small amount of the content, influenced the election in any way. I think it's a pretty crazy idea. <laughs> Voters make decisions based on their lived experiences. Do not blame me for Donald Trump is what he's saying. I did not cause this. So, the, I mean, this happened on Twitter also. There's yeah. a lot of information there. So should Facebook and Twitter do something to fix that? What could they do? There's algorithms. They could change it so that they could find a way to see is a story real or not uh, and push it out of the way so it doesn't influence. Make sure that real things go out, but these fake stories that have no basis of anything. I think – remember, there was a story about Facebook a few months ago that they were they were actually um, altering what went out anyway. And it was more liberal or more information that wasn't as conservative. Pro, right. well, well, yeah, the news feed yeah. things. So I think and the solution to that was they fired all the humans. Yeah, maybe they ought to just stay out of a lot of this and just say buyer beware. That's that's the approach he wants to take. Sure, but people are trying to say you have a website. People from news organizations are posting news. Mm -hmm. So does he have a responsibility to try to make sure that news is actually going out and not stuff that's just meant to disrupt? But I don't. I mean, I think that way. And I don't know what where the line is. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get this. You'll get the sludge. I you remember think, I, I talked about the what was it Humpty Dumpty News dot com and you, you you look and you see like well that that isn't going to be a website that's yeah. going to have that's not probably real news. real news, but that stuff starts trending because people start sharing it with each other. People. So I, I'm I, I think There's it's interesting because is Facebook a media company or are they a technology company? Well, I think they think they're both. No, they think they're a technology company. Except for the fact they sell media. <laughs> yes. Right? So mm-hmm. they are a media company. And for the fact that they promote and you can – I mean every media company probably markets through Facebook. So if you're going to accept money from media companies, then you're part of the problem. So do they have a responsibility yeah, that way? I don't do. know. I think they do have a responsibility, but I don't think they can do anything. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? They could. I mean, well, like, think about it. But then they get into, they're Censoring. the ones that gets to filter and censor, and right. they don't want to do and that. And what's a news story versus just me complaining and making up something about Donald Trump? Right. The reality is, I think it's very clear. Mark Zuckerberg caused Donald Trump. <laughs> I think that's your point. No, that's, well, because they had meetings where people, like, I stood know. up and they asked the CEO, what are we going to do about Donald Trump? And he said, what are you talking about? Right. But see, that, that, that that's a very important point. Like, they have employees that are wanting to manipulate the system. Yeah. And he's like, no, we can't do that. We we, right. we are open for business for all people. We can't afford to, you know, put our <laughs> thumb on the scale one way or the other. Isn't this fun? Yeah. Uh, NFL ratings are still struggling. Ad yeah. revenues down. They're uh, looking at s- certain ways of trying to speed the game up yep. because it's too slow. They want to uh, cut, cut maybe the number of commercial breaks and also when the commercials are positioned. Because mm-hmm. right now it's like you score a touchdown, you kick the field goal, you take a commercial break. You come back, you kick off, you take a commercial right. break. You come back, first down. Boom. Takes long, forever. Long game. When Bring I, in the Gators. So I'll watch them score. I'll see, the, I'll see the kickoff, and then I just walk out of the room for 10 minutes. <laughs> We'll come I, back when ready last to night right. watched the Utah game against Arizona State, and I thought, I don't even want to watch because they were promoting uh, NFL, and I'm like, not even interested. Yeah. And I'm, I've always been interested in NFL. Yeah. Not even interested. I saw several. I was just like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Moving I'd on. I'd rather watch Netflix. Um, there was a game on last night. 
There was an NFL game on last night. Didn't there even, was? Didn't even watch. It was Baltimore and somebody. Didn't even no. turn it on. Didn't even care. If I, and if I had to choose between, like, a, a, not a third tier, but a, a, a top 40 team of college, I'd rather watch that yeah. than the NFL. I don't and they, know why. They, the NFL keeps pointing to, as they call it, intense interest in the presidential election as to why their numbers are slipping. And I'm like, not really. I think numbers are slipping because of bad football. The refs are missing calls. Bad football, too many commercials, and more bad football. And bad football. They're just bad teams. There's probably too many teams out there and not yeah. enough talent. And- well, and I think that that's it, too. Is It's hard to watch a lot of millionaires play a game and complain yeah. and pout and, I don't know, it's hard. It's fun to watch college people do that. It's really fun to watch our team do it. Right. I mean, if that, pout yeah. and complain? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather do that. Fun times, folks. Fun times. We, um, we, as you know, we, we're trying to appeal to all demographics on this show. And so there's a certain group of people that, that have been complaining they don't seem to get the same attention, um, some of our seniors. So we have a group, uh, the Dinwoody couple. And we've been told we don't have enough rap. On our program. Totally. We don't. So we're going to try to bring together the rap world and the seniors world with what we call rapping the news with the Dinwoodies. <laughs> November 2016. Yo. The presidential election's finally over and Trump won. Big league. We'll see where that goes. We'll probably see more aspiring politicians appearing in reality shows. Yo. How could so many pollsters have faulty numbers? Should the networks put on the brakes? Could any other profession survive such mistakes? I'm gonna say no. The mannequin challenge is a fad that's sweeping the nation. Yeah. But that's not why there was stunned silence at Hillary's planned celebration. Yo. In Oceanside, California, voters chose a man who died a month before the election. Now that's a campaign that was run to perfection. Word. A German man harvested a garden carrot that grew inside his long-lost wedding band. Vegetables are both good for us and good to us. That's easy to understand. Hold up. Yo. Peace. Yeah! Eat your veggies. Another one. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Because it's Friday, we like to talk movies. Who better to help us with that than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic uh, specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Wonderful website if you like to watch movies with your kids. Um, And we appreciate Rod joining us. Rod, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. And we apparently uh, have got a really successful movie that I've never heard about. Arrival. Arrival, yes. It it is. I, I take it, Matt, you're talking about last night's box office report. Yes. If, if, wow, look at you. You See are how up to date I am? Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. I read it you, every morning. Very good. 
Not, not <laughs> I'm really. I'm sure you do. Yes, I think it took in something like 1.4 million last night in theaters, which is very good considering it's not running on, I think it's on about 2,000 screens, which is a moderately wide release. And uh, yeah, it looks like this movie is going to do quite well. So Arrival is an alien movie. And, uh, you know, Matt, alien movies have a problem (laughs) because every alien movie immediately presents the same dilemma. Do we blast the daylights out of them before (laughs) they can even get the door open? Or do we roll out the red carpet and expect that we're going to learn how to time travel and and how to make cell phones that never need recharging, you know, and all of those wonderful things. And so in the movie Arrival, they play around with that dilemma a little bit, which is kind of interesting. They, the 12 of these egg-shaped spaceships suddenly show up on uh, hovering just a few feet above the planet's surface, and they're all over the world. The one in the United States shows up just a little bit south of me here, northern Montana. And uh, and so they send a crew of people out there, of course, to inspect it. And one of the people that they send is this doctor. She's a linguist, and she's played by Amy Adams. And she had, turns out she's worked for the U.S. military before doing some translation work. So they said, hey, you know, if you can figure out what those guys on the other side of the world are saying, I'm sure you can talk to, you can talk to, <laughs> talk to the aliens. <clears throat> I shouldn't have started laughing. Now I'm in trouble with my throat. Uh-oh. So they, they bring her in there, and she, of course, gets to meet the aliens. Her, along with a physicist who's played by Jeremy Renner. And, uh, and the two of them together start working to try and figure out how can they communicate with the aliens to answer the big question, are you guys here to destroy us, or are you here on a peaceful mission? And so that's, that's really what it's about. While they're doing that... The 11 other ships around the world are are in different political jurisdictions and they're going through different experiences. And and one of the ones that they follow a little bit more are China and Russia. And of course, China and Russia in the movie, they're they're a little bit they've got their fingers on the big red button a little bit more. They're not so sure. And and if they can't get something out of these aliens here soon, they're 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 going to start taking offensive measures. So that's basically what's what's happening in the film. Hmm. And it's is it I, I had never heard anything about it i mean i know on rotten tomatoes it's getting a lot of acclaim what is it amy adams is it the acting is it just intent is there a lot of blowing up of other things hmm? huh? you know i hmm? think it, i think it, i think it's a little bit of the topical nature of this movie because really this movie is all about immigration yeah no exactly <laughs> that's what we just talked throw- about it yeah, we're going to throw a big hot potato in here. You know, this is this film is releasing on a week where many people have some various serious thoughts on their minds about how do we look at people that we don't know, people that we're unfamiliar with, people who don't look like us. And that really is one, I think it's hitting a very sensitive note with the with the public in general. Um, artistically, as a movie, it actually works really well. One of the things I appreciate about this movie is... Um, it's it's very simple in the way it's made. And in fact, it was made for the budget is reported to be, I think, $47 million, mm-hmm. which for an alien film, you can barely make a Woody Allen movie these days for that much money, let alone a film with aliens and special effects. And, um, and so it's a very simple film. It comes in <clears throat> and it presents its premise and it does its job well. And so I think those two things together make this a film that actually creates 
a surprising amount of emotion in the audience. Hmm. The other um, plot line that comes up in this movie is there's a character who who can see into the future. And so the question is poised. If you could see the future, would you change the past? And I think it really draws an even uh, a more profound question from the audience, because obviously we can't see the future. We can't change the past. But what can we do today to change the future? And so I think both of those messages are just very timely. And, and I think they're going to resonate quite strongly with. That's audiences. great. And it seems like great conversations you could have with your family, your kids after this. Yeah, there is. <clears throat> we were happy. <clears throat> Sorry, Matt. We were happy as well with the with the fact that in this movie, first of all, there's there's really no sexual content. A married couple asks the question, should we make a baby? That's the sexual content. Hmm. Um, the, the violence, there is a moment where there's a bomb blast that goes off, but uh, it's, it's not explicitly violent at all or anything else. That's really all the violence there is. And sadly, profanity, this movie would have got a PG rating, not a PG-13, had they not included one sexual expletive and once again I'm convinced that word is only in there because they needed the PG-13 rating to prove this was a serious movie why Hollywood why do we need to do that oh, it's wow. in there. so really that's that really is the high watermark of, of things that parents will be concerned about I mean obviously this is a film that's probably going to be over the heads of eight-year-olds but you know even 10 and over probably um, you know again keeping this that single sexual expletive in mind depending on where your feelings are about that. Um, it, it, certainly the rest of the content is even appropriate for mm. tweens and teens. Yeah. Well, man, it's, again, uh, I think discussion time. I, it's hard to know how to talk about f people's feelings, what's going on in our country. Uh, I don't know what they're feeling about this in Canada. We did talk about how it's all going down in Europe uh, earlier today. So, you know, maybe this is a great way to bridge some of that that with our children. Um, anything else, Rod, that's coming out this weekend we should be paying attention to? Well, you know, I screened almost Christmas last night, and uh, this is an African-American Christmas comedy. And, uh, and, you know, as good and bad in this, we're still working on the review for this one. It's going to come in at a B-minus for us. There are some very nice story threads in this movie, but unfortunately there is quite a bit of sexual content and banter that goes on as well, and uh, which is unfortunate. But Almost Christmas, I there is a genre of movie, I call it the dysfunctional family Christmas movie or the dysfunctional family holiday movie. Some of them take place at Thanksgiving. And this is the first one out of the, out, <laughs> of the, out of the lot. Yes, here they come. So, and you know, it's unfortunate I think sometimes these movies never quite live up to their potential because I think they could do a lot of good things, but often they come across not so good. This one, believe it or not, is one of the better ones. Usually really? we, these come in in our C-grade categories. Um, but again, parents approach with caution. There is a lot of verbal content in this film that you, that you may find offensive and unsuitable for your family. Hmm. Great advice. By the way, I've, I already thought, uh, you know, I have a film that came out earlier this year that totally reminds me of my family at Thanksgiving, Trolls. Don't know if you, you – oh, I know you've seen it. Uh, you gave it a B-plus rating, so it's all good. Yes. It's yes. all good. So, so you're telling me, Matt, if I could spin you really quickly, your hair would just go straight up straight, and turn Exactly. Blue. Exactly. That's how my hair works. Exactly. That's how I, I get ready it. That's every why you're morning. in radio. That's right. Exactly. Well, we appreciate you, Rod. Keep up the great work there at parentpreviews.com. What a wonderful resource you are. 
Thank you, and I apologize in advance for my throat. I'm still getting over my early flu bug. So go, thank go, you. yeah, go, go get in health. Come on, that's we yes, can't we can't I'm lose your voice. That's the money maker. <laughs> that's right. Rod Gustafson at ParentPreviews.com. Go check out the website again. They have wonderful um, uh, like primers that help you see how you can talk to your family about some of these movies. Bring up some of the deeper discussions. It'll create a lot of depth. We will take a break. Come back and do a little flushing of the news. Before we go to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, walking you through Friday. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday. So as we like to do, we, we want to get rid of any news stories that uh, we've been holding on to. Flush them, we call it, so that you still get the information, some of which you may need. Uh, if you are um, allergic to raccoons or afraid of rabies, a U.S. park officer, um, police officer, had to be transported to the D.C. hospital early Thursday afternoon after he was attacked by a raccoon and then accidentally shot himself in the foot trying to fend off the animal. According to Park's statement, the raccoon was dispatched uh, by another officer at the scene. Animal control officials were then contacted to retrieve the carcass. No explanation was given for what prompted the raccoon attack. Uh, How about just because raccoons attack? Wasn't that a show on Fox at one point? Yeah, raccoons attack. When raccoons attack. Do you remember that? Yeah. Great, great. Oh, that was a great show. They you lost know. the vision of that show. It was when animals attack. Yeah. They could have done like an individual right. showcase every week. Yeah. When right. llamas attack. But they then they just kind of narrowed in on the raccoon. Yeah. When, when Democrats attack. Could have done that too. And raccoons have a really strong support group uh, that then started to petition and mm, it's sad. The species is typically a nocturnal hunter. Though, according to the Humane Society of the United States, daytime activity is not necessarily a cause for alarm. A hello, I was basically attacked by a raccoon in Costa Rica. I'm pretty sure it had a knife or a gun. I can't remember. It was a weapon. Did you leave out your garbage or something? No, we were sitting on the beach. And I look over and there's this thing that looks like a raccoon wearing a swimsuit. Hmm. It was all a ploy. He was it's a, he was faking it. He wasn't really at the beach. And the minute I turned my back, the little raccoon grabbed some stuff and tried to run away. And I had to give him the hiss. Did that work? No. Oh. Hmm. So we threw sand in his face. He didn't care. I hit him with a stick. Stunned him a bit, but not really. <laughs> and then he just, you know, gestured to me and ran away. Whoa, he, he yeah. gave you the bird? He gave me the... the Little racky, the raccoon. Wow. Sign. Hmm. That's just rude. Flush it, man. Wow. Flush it. Fathers over 50 are more accustomed to watching sports from their comfort of their armchair. That sounds like Matt here. Yeah. Uh, than in being active are more likely to live longer, says mm-hmm. a new study. By the way, we're more attractive, too. Right. It says men uh, with an extra tire around the waist are yes. more attractive to the opposite sex, uh-huh. better at passing on genes, and totally. are, in fact, healthier than peers who are always in the gym. Yes. That is the conclusion of some academics. So, uh, you know, academics. They what? they wrote They called it the pudgy dad hypothesis. Mm-hmm. It says the Yale University PDH. professor... 
The Yale University professor also said mothers who had several children early in life are more likely to die younger and age quicker. Wow. Yeah. He says one of the keys to a long life for men is the natural decline of sex hormones, which is blunted when muscle-focused friends spike their testosterone mm-hmm. levels with months and years of pulling on weights. He goes on and says, macho makes you sick. The Hollywood image of the swaggering, dashing man dispatching bad guys and carrying the day conjures up a perception of indestructibility. We have a harder time fighting off infections and illnesses compared yes. with women, and men simply do not take care of themselves. We're, ah. we're so objectified in the media. I it's know. crazy. I am so sick of having to remind women to look up my eyes. Up here, ladies. And not at your uh, not, not PD? Not my spare tire. What was it called? The Oh, yeah. Uh, physical. Pudgy, pudgy, pudgy dad, dad hypothesis. 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 PDH. Yeah. How many times, though, has your wife just looked you in the eye and said, man, I just love your spare tire. You need 20 more pounds on you. Then. <laughs> I like how you jiggle, jiggle about the middle area of your belly. Yeah, never. <clears throat> never Is that why that. you eat so much jello at home? Oh, for sure. I think your wife is trying to tell you something. She thinks I'm hot. Um, mom, a mom now, uh, had, she had a sick son on an airplane, and he, he got sick. He threw up. And you know, pretty standard stuff. We had a, a, an infant throwing up on our last airplane flight. Um, unfortunately, when the child threw up, the vomit actually got all over a passenger's 900-pound Louis Vuitton, $900, let's say, Louis Vuitton handbag. That was a heavy bag. I was going to say 900 pounds. That's a heavy bag. Uh, You know, so now the parents, the family, have to replace the handbag. I mean, that's a $1,000 sickness. Is that your problem? Or is that the airline's problem? I don't think you should be allowed to bring an expensive bag like that on the airplane. Well, right. But should you bring an expensive sick kid on the airplane <laughs> guess you didn't know but i mean i guess the, the, re, the well, reality is one is a bag and one is a human being yeah, so whichever guess, one is being paid for although but one is a baby, louis vuitton it's not being so, paid for. yeah i guess we'll yeah. leave the kid take the louis vuitton that's crazy so you got to pay for the professional cleaning or replace the bag altogether that's why i won't carry expensive stuff I think I would tell that person to take a hike. Yeah. Leave your bag at home if you don't want it to be puked on by babies. Just don't answer your phone. It's your own fault. It's your own fault. He's a baby. Sue my son. Come on. Flush it. One more One headline. More. So McDonald's trying to revamp their uh, menu yet again. They added all-day breakfast. That caused a bit of a turmoil in some people's lives. They tried to work that into their daily schedule because, you know, breakfast all day is... Apparently awesome. I'm not sure. But uh, another innovation is they're trying to update the Big Mac. They're going to have three sizes. They'll have what's called the Grand Mac, which is, as it sounds, larger than the Big Mac. Two patties that together weigh in at one-third of a pound before cooking, (laughs) plus all the other ingredients. The two patties in the original Big Mac, they weigh one-fifth of a pound. So... There's more. Are they working on the? Are they working on the taste? No, of the burger? doesn't say that. The Mac Junior will have one patty. They'll skip the middle bun, so it'd just be a hamburger basically. But yeah, yeah. It'll have the special sauce and all that stuff. Lettuce, cheese, pickles, and then you'll onions. have your normal 
tasting regular Big Mac. Is it true that for the large size, they will also be doing a Mac defibrillator? No, they will not. Okay, just checking. This will kick in in early 2017, apparently. Yummy. So... So if you if you like yourself the Big Mac, uh, it's not going away. That's good news. Good news. It's coming back, so you can have a Mac attack. A, a grand, a Mac Junior, or the original. I'm not sure that the sound of a flush. Oh, that fits is exactly perfectly. what McDonald's would want. It fits with their announcement of the new Big Mac. Fun stuff, folks. Let's uh, let's go um, take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. We will now throw it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, Spencer and Jerome. What's up? Hey. Hey, Matt. What's up, boys? Just eating some string cheese, man. <gasps> That's what I had for breakfast. Yeah, this is my breakfast, too. That's and some rich crackers. Oh, boy. Now Rhea. you're talking. What did, Jerem, what did you eat? I had uh, two sausage burritos from McDonald's. Yeah, he had a real breakfast. Wow. You had the breakfast of champions. I didn't have Wheaties, no. Hey, um, speaking of McDonald's, did you hear about the new Big Mac? What now? I'm intrigued. They're calling it the Grand Mac. It's going to be released uh, soon, and it is uh, larger than a Big Mac. The Grand Mac will include two patties that together weigh in at a third of a pound of meat. A third of a pound of meat. The Grand Mac? uh Uh-huh. The Grand Mac. It also comes, we found out, with um, an adrenaline kit and a defibrillator. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Called the McFibrillate. (laughs) Includes McFibrillator. (laughs) For the first hundred people to buy. <laughs> yes. Um, are you guys interested? They, they, so they have the Grand Mac. Then I think they're just going to have the Mac Junior, which is a one patty Big Mac. It skips the middle bun, which is, sounds like a regular hamburger to Love me. Love it. But they put the special sauce on it. Uh-huh. And the sesame so seed buns. Hello. And then I guess they'll just have the regular Big Mac. So it's you now have uh, Mactopia for many people. Jeremy and I had a conversation recently, I want to say within the last month or two, about whether or not people actually buy Big Macs, so much so that I put out a poll question. Ah, what, what <laughs> would did you, you find eat out? a Big Mac today? You know, and the majority of people came back. I think like sixty-seven or sixty-eight percent people said yes. I, yeah. I, you know, I would eat a Big Mac. That's not. You, <laughs> I w- I would not do I, and that was that I mean, was I would. the argument. Do you? No, I mean, would you? I mean, if you handed me one, I would. I would eat it. If you're like, would you eat? I'd be like, sure. It's like, do you? No, never. There's a difference, right? <laughs> I would um, you eat? Do you eat string cheese for breakfast? As yes. opposed to would you? Maybe we need to send out another poll question. <laughs> yeah. If I do handed you, if eat I don't, Big Macs? Aff- if I don't affirm it for you, throw out the poll to hope the people do. Do you eat Big Macs? <laughs> See, it's a big deal for me. I was just telling my guys here that I—that's when I passed into manhood—was when I could eat my own Big Mac. It did feel, yeah. It, you know it what I mean? It was exciting, right? It was. It, I was. I, I had a Mac attack. Like in your case, you probably got your eagle, and then you got your license, yeah. and then uh, you go with your friends, and you're like freedom. <laughs> and then you spend the money there, and you're like, wait, I only have twelve dollars left. That's it. Yeah. For the rest of my life until I. Get <laughs> now I'm again. now I'm totally broke, and now I've got to work. Yeah, and you were working at Wiener Schnitzel at the time, mm-hmm. and so yeah, you yeah. just you make what you make and uh, use it on Big Macs. See? I remember riding my bike 
in the thriving metropolis of Clinton, Utah, located in Davis County. Yeah, C-Town. Clinton like Linton. Up the street about, I don't know, a mile to the McDonald's on the busy highway on my Natasha BMX bike. Mm. Cashing in on the two Big Macs for $2 deal. (sighs) That was good days. Good deal. Good days. (laughs) And that's when you put the Linton in Clinton, right? Absolutely. And I put the Jordan in Jordan. What? Did you live in Jordan? I'm from West Jordan. West Jordan. You put the Jordan in West Jordan. I put the Jordan in West Jordan. I put North by Northeast. I put the towns in, in the town. The town send doc. Anywho, yeah. hey, um, yeah. tomorrow compelling and rich, <laughs> compelling and rich, engaging conversations. Um, tomorrow there's a game. Are you guys gonna be talking about that on there's your show? There's all kinds of games. There are a few games. Tomorrow. No, there's only one game that matters. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yes. It's my son's first basketball game. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, that's great. It really doesn't matter, though, let's be honest. That's true. It's the first game. <laughs> what's hey, on What's on your show? Uh, football versus Southern Utah is, is a big deal. That's tomorrow. BYU wins. They're in the Poinsettia Bowl, which would be uh, awesome. Poinsettia Bowl, we'll talk to the president of that uh, coming up, Ted Tolner. He was a quarterback's coach back here in 81, by the way. Really? McMahon's senior year. Steve Young was on that. That's uh, cool. Team. Blaine Fowler as well. So uh, Ted Tolner would tell us who – the bowl game is targeting uh, as a potential opponent for the BYU uh, Cougars. So. We've also got our BYU Sports Nation annual tradition. Yeah. The bingo yeah. card Third is back, annual. Matt. <laughs> so is, is it engaging enough to watch the Southern Utah game? Yes. Uh, that's up to you. Uh, we'll have a bingo card to help you stay engaged through this. Excellent. The whole game. For the whole game. Pre and the pregame game and, and post game. You got to watch. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah. That's great. Things like a Tanner Mangum touchdown pass. BYU goes up by 17-plus. Butch Pau smiling. Ah. A blue goggle reference. Bingo. Jamal Williams dances. All of these are in yeah. separate oh, boxes. Fun. They'll tell you all the squares. You can print it off. You'll t- uh, and you'll tell us where to get this card. Yep. Oh, boy. Boy. Squares filling out squares. We've it's got our like, bold predictions as well. I mean, this is it's a fun Friday show. We have the West Coast Conference Player of the Year as well from women's soccer. Michelle Vasconcelos in the studio. They play in the NCAA tournament tonight huh. on BYU TV at 9 Eastern time against UNLV. Unbelievable. So it's ball night as well. Ball and night? We, oh, and we're two on one with Tanner Mangum, of course. Oh, yeah, that too. Really? Is he still around? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think. And uh, why he needs to be called Mangum P.I. from now on. <laughs> but he has to grow a st- Oh, does he have a stash? You'll have oh to see. Cliff just slipped. Um, okay, that's cool. That's great. That's a great show. Yeah, we feel, pretty, we feel pretty good about it. Are you done with that cheese yet, Spencer? No. Because I, I think actually, I keep hearing I'm... it. Yep, there it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. Mm-hmm. I love that salty mozzarella. It is, uh, it's the Frigo Cheeseheads brand of string cheese. Mm. Delicious. Frigo my ego. <laughs> I remember their theme well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you need to go back and watch that commercial. Maybe I missed it. <laughs> awesome, guys. That sounds like a great show. Uh, well, we'll let you go. I know you got to stretch, work out, uh, get the cheese out of your teeth, mm-hmm. and uh, just do your group hug thing that okay. you do. Yes. We, we ready. Okay, remember, we're here for you. Thank you, Matthew. But uh, once my show's done, we're not here for you anymore. Okay. All right. For now, the Grand Mac will sign off. That's right. Grand Mac out. <laughs> Spencer and Jerem, have a great day. Knock Thank them you. dead. That, uh, that cheese sounded really good. Did you notice me eating cheese this morning? 
Was it squeaky? Mm-hmm. It was stringy. Oh. S- stringy, squeaky cheese? It was string cheese, but it did squeak against my pearly whites. Hmm. Know what I mean? I, for a minute, I thought you were talking about the cheese from a Big Mac, and I almost dry heaved. I don't know what you all have against Big Macs. <sighs> I think they're a great gift to America, and I think the Grand Mac is grand. And the defibrillator doesn't hurt. Actually, hurts like a mother. <laughs> it's but no, you're dead when they do it. It's no In-N-Out burger. It's no double-double. Is that your favorite? Oh, it's one of the best. I'm not convinced of that, Jim. Hmm. All right. Well, after the show, you and me, in and out, your treat. Okay. Something doesn't quite seem right <laughs> with that. Did you hear about this guy that was jailed after shoving pizza and cinnamon sticks in his mouth? Uh, I, I did my time, and you promised you'd never bring that up again. Yeah. Florida man that then moved to Utah oh, okay. and does that a radio was, show. Okay, something else. Accused has now been accused of jamming delivered pizza in his mouth without paying. He got delivered to the St. Lucie Lucci uh, County Jail, an arrest affidavit states. Accused domino defrauder James Chandler, 60, was ferried to jail by the deputies after investigators uh, say he shoved pizza and cinnamon sticks in his pie hole and then stiffed the delivery driver. The driver told investigators she went to the delivery and met a man, later identified as Chandler. She gave him the pizza, but he didn't pay. He said he had a store credit, but the driver called Domino's, and the manager indicated that wasn't the case. The driver stated she told Chandler he didn't have store credit and that uh, at that moment the guy started shoving pizza and cinnamon sticks into his mouth. That's not a thing to have store credit with a pizza place? No, I think he was trying to mislead the lady. And she she bought it for a second. She's like, let me check on that. And then the next thing he knows, he's shoving pizza in his mouth. The Domino's manager showed deputies crushed up boxes. The deputy saw the pizza was missing. Well, where did the pizza go? Um, missing a piece and also saw the cinnamon sticks were missing. Chandler told deputies he ordered pizza from Domino's and tried to pay with a check. He said the delivery driver told him Domino's doesn't take checks. Chandler fessed up to stuffing pizza and cinnamon sticks in his mouth without paying and he was arrested. So they showed up and they're like, did you eat that pizza? No. No, I did not. Let me just give you a little secret as your life coach. That's why you don't eat it. You just lick it. If you just lick <laughs> – if you lick everything, they're not going to hmm. take it back. Yeah. What What could they possibly arrest him for? What charges could they bring yeah. against him for licking a pizza? Licking – Indecent exposure? I don't know. Yeah. Licking without – Possession to purchase or yeah. without intention to purchase? I, I swear, licking is like two-thirds of the law, five-tenths of the law, six, seven-tenths licking. I don't know. So as if his actions I'm were childish lawyer. enough, he should have done something even more childish right. and licked it. Lick it. Lick it. And then he <laughs> got to run and then kick it. Uh, finally, our hero story of the day, a teenager plays hero role in uh, Maupak, Maupak, New York. A quick-acting teenager rescued two 17-year-old girls from an overturned car that crashed into Lake Maupak, hope I'm saying that right, 47 miles north of North, uh, New York City, late Thursday afternoon. Colin Malzo, seven, 19 years old 
who saw the accident from his driveway, called 911 and ran to the scene and jumped into about three feet of muck and water in the lake, pulled the two out of the car through a blown-out window. He was very brave, Carmel Police uh, Lieutenant John Dearman said. He's definitely a hero tonight. The girls were in a 2009 Toyota Matrix going at a high rate of speed when they lost control of the car. Police said the car crossed the double yellow line to the other side of the road, hit a utility pole, flipped over, landed into the cove, into the lake. About 5.50 p.m. They said the police were at the scene within a minute. Both girls were out of the car when they got there and they were transported to the hospital. And you know what they said when he pulled them out. 19-year-old pulls out two 17-year-olds. They gasped and said, my hero. Life has changed in Maupac, New York. But he's the hero. A kid sees a problem, jumps in, makes a difference. That's what we want to challenge all of us to do in this country. If, uh, if we want to make it better, we all have to step up and be better people. You can all be a hero, and many times the best place to be a hero is just in your own home, with your own family, your own kids. Let's all step up this weekend. Let's make the country better. Let's make our families better. And let's thank the veterans of our life that uh, we see day in, day out. Go up to them, give them a big hug, and thank them for their service. We'll be back Monday to give you more ideas, more information to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until Monday, make it a great one. We'll talk Monday.